2017 is over, and this is part two of the year in review. Welcome to Talking In Stations, an EVE Online podcast recorded live while streaming. I am your host, Matterall. Today we're having the year-end review, uh, well actually the second part of it because we started it before. We'll explain that in just a second. But thanks for showing up. Let's introduce some of these guests because we have a ton of them. And we'll start at the top inside of Discord here. Apothni, how are you doing? Hey buddy, doing good. Apple Pear? Hello, I'm good. Uh, Bar Ghost Isu is from former Pravi. Hello everyone. Caleb Ariana. Hey guys. And Carneros. Good morning. This is Carneros. Yes, we also have Dirk McGurk. Hey, what's going on? Good morning, everybody. Uh, Noisy Gamer. Good morning, good afternoon, or wherever you're living, good night. And Wilhelm Arcturus from the Ancient Gaming New. Hey, hey. Glad to be here. All right, guys. It's full house. Uh, we got everything covered. Uh, hopefully, and uh, let's go back a little bit and talk about why this is June, sorry, July through uh, December of 2017. Uh, I got a call um, kind of late to do uh, the meta show, so went over and did the meta show, and with absence of material for the week, we decided to do year-end review there as well, but all these year-end review shows, year-end review shows are difficult to do because they're, they're dense with a lot of things, uh, so we only got to June. So, um, open comms did the same thing. Dirk, how far did you get? Um, we got to, I think, August, July, August, in the first hour and 45 minutes or so. And then in the next two and a half hours, we got to, like, the beginning of September. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. So, Talking in Stations is going to pick it up from there. I'll see if I can stitch the two together. What do you think of that, Carneros? Good idea? Sounds, sounds like a good plan. Yeah, we'll pick it up with July and uh, start from there and finish out the year because some interesting stuff has happened in the second half of 2017. For those of you that are about to celebrate New Year's Eve, uh, thanks for listening and uh, we wish you a great and safe uh, Happy New Year. And uh, so, so let's get on with this show. I think this. Uh, I think we should probably start with um, Providence. Put down a keep star. Uh, I think it was was it June or July, Vargas? It was late June. I think when I was looking at it. A few weeks back, it was the 21st or something. Right. Tell us what happened there. Um, in, in broad strokes. We knew there was a plan for one going on. There was like a crowdfunding going on from one of the CVA corps. Um, but none of us knew when it was going down. And then suddenly we get some nice ping on our Slack saying, yeah, max cta in something like 18 hours um keep start going down and we were all kind of really confused um none of us knew what was going on nobody had been told and to what was said even the fc team didn't seem to know until it was too late line members knew after people like htp and pl actually knew um which kind of caused a bit of contention um, nobody really had time to get enough online. And from there, it kind of went downhill to the point it was lost. 
Yeah, I think we got the ping before uh, before, before the rank and file of Pravi did. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's not abnormal, though. <laughs> but the setup was also a bit strange, what I remember. They uh, had the drop to damn thing, and everybody could see the Keepstar on their overview. Like, just they didn't even have to f search in space to find it. So everybody could just warp to it and all those kind of things. I think everything that could go wrong went wrong there. Yes. It did seem it. I know. I don't want to pin blame on people. I, you know, I don't know the full ins and outs because I wasn't obviously privy to the top level stuff. But yeah, from the line members' perspective, everyone was sat there going, "What the hell? <laughs> What's going on here?" Yeah, uh, the thing was, it was an exciting fight, if I remember correctly, because uh, it looked like NC. Uh, was um, NCPL were kind of taking it down, and then CO2 jumped into system uh, with capitals, and it became a bigger fight. And it was, you know, there's some interesting bombing runs. But then the real surprise was uh, after CO2 escalated, uh, it was Triumvirate that came in, and we didn't know what side they were going to fall on. I mean, it was obviously already, you know, decided in diplomatic circles or whatever. But it was, if you're watching the fight, it was exciting to see. Would they save it or would they kill it? They ended up killing it. Yeah, so I, I think it was so rushed to the point that even some of us didn't know who our allies were. As you just said, like we were sat there going, who do we blue for this fight? Yeah, it's pretty cool. But um, that marked kind of an interesting uh, period. That What did it say about Providence to you? You were in Providence. I don't know. It... It was kind of the turning point for some people, like, what the hell are we doing here? Um, it, it just, I don't know, it, it set some moods off because it was like, that shouldn't have been put down how it was. There should have been yeah. more notice. You know, yes, line members shouldn't have been told X amount of weeks in advance, but I think the thing that everyone was concerned about was hearing that the FC team didn't even know until it was down when it was too late to obviously cancel what you were doing. Um, yeah. We heard similar grumblings from uh, Yintan and other people. Like, it's like, don't blame me. I didn't know what was happening. So anyway. Everyone seemed pretty pissed at the time. Um, right. So. Offsec right, we'll, is hard, man. Yeah. We'll move on from there. So that was the, the, and that was interesting. So Providence tried to put down their first keep star and it actually got taken out before it could be anchored. Uh, a little bit bittersweet. Um, and then what else happened in July? I'll leave that open to anybody. Oh, you had the Tech 3 Cruises. That was, of course, the whole refam. That's pretty big. Like, we have now very exciting uh, Logi T3s. And pretty much uh, for fleet fights, the only thing that's really a thing are Lokis. What was before the changes was really the thing you didn't use. So the whole uh, meta around that uh, changed. Uh, I'm very sad that we don't have Proteus Legion fleets anymore because I was very fond yeah. of those. Looks like the Lokis came out on top, right? Yeah. And with the lack of Tech 3 cruiser fleets being dominant, it's opened the door to battleship slugfests again, which has turned into sniper battleship slugfests, which is really, really weird and a very big change, but yes. absolutely fantastic in every way to see a dynamic, evolving fleet combat meta that doesn't just evolve to, well, we want to win this fight, so we'll bring T3A hacks with capital support. 
Yeah, and the bombers being weak right now uh, also allows battleships to thrive too. So the conditions are right for battleships to reappear. Bombers uh, aren't weak so much as the really good FCs, especially those who are molting boxing them, aren't really active anymore. So I'll, I'll bombers are you. still amazing, but there I'll tell are the FCs that told me they were weak that you think them. they're not good. Uh, with the, uh, I've done some bombing lately, uh, etc. And what you notice is that they bring so many Tech Three uh, destroyers or other destroyers with them uh, that it's uh, hard to do bombing runs. You pretty much have to make sure those get killed before, to uh, because otherwise with the uh, anti-bomb uh, things, the dig launchers, all your bombs are dead. Well, that's just it. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's not that anything really changed about bombing, unless you want to go back to the whole, you know, ability to multi-box them, you know, through through input broadcasting and things like that, right? It's the fact that they've created more counters to them. Yeah, yeah, right. and, and maybe a dearth of FCs that are capable of of overcoming the new offsets to them. And and lately, and I think uh, it took a while for people to like really pick up on that matter with bringing the dicks with them but uh, in the last few months, they uh they're really starting to do that dick doors dick doors or uh, is that what you said or did i miss no you? he was talking about dick. the the anti-bombing uh destroyer uh launchers which oh. are called, called dicks. dicks you actually call them that that's what uh, they were initially uh, labeled by CCP when they were coming out. They have a new name now, but no one yeah, remembers them. They canceled that new name, but I guess it stuck. Yeah. Well, that's what they get for fucking around. I blame... Uh, it was uh, CCP Larrikin that announced it, and uh, I think he was the main dev behind it, and I'm fully yeah. behind calling them dicks. Okay, enough of that. So we move on to, and it is interesting because the that you pointed to the doctrine shift when T3s get nerfed, battleships come up. They'll be seen later on in the program when initiative uses them against NC dot. Uh, and you also um, at this point set up what the conflict that lasts to the end of the year or close to it, and that was uh, test moves north in order to fight uh, darkness. So, anybody have any insight on that movement and why that happened and what followed? Okay, because uh, test moves north and then the goons decide to move at the same time. I don't know if they were working together. Does anybody have any information? Well, they uh, together? well test test moved north in July. It, 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 I think it was early August when when goons moved north, yeah. uh, kind of in semi-conjunction. It's still unclear whether or not there was actual coordination. They uh, deny it. Yeah. It uh, seemed to me it. that it was a surprise. Oh, they're doing uh, what? To go against whom? I, I, think the thing, I think the thing, thing yeah. in the south is the same what's happening in the north, but it's uh, like uh, we like to shoot in CPL and we rather kill them than test. And in the north, they rather kill GSF slash test than uh, between each other, and I think that's really what's happening there. So if we're on the field with test and there's NC or PL, then we are rather shooting in CPL than start shooting test. I think that's really the thing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a good opportunity if you think about it. Test is up there. They're going to menace uh, darkness, kind of take them out of the game or whatever. And the way that uh, Matani had publicly announced what was going to happen is they were going to go up there and they were going to do what has been done to them. And that is take a bunch of dreadnoughts, take a bunch of uh, ships and harass people 
basically making them pay attention to their homeland instead of being out on deployment in the south, where PL was, or in the west, where NC was. And that's exactly what happened. PL and NC came back to defend uh, Vale and uh, Tribute, not in that order. Um, and uh, But, you know, but there was no success on the part of uh, Goon fleets. Um, they pretty much got annihilated over and over again. Am I wrong well, about that? I mean, LNC you... tends to deploy where they can shoot people, and if you have the largest coalition in the game, hey, we're going to be undocked in space trying to shoot you. PLNC will go, fucking great, fam. Let's let's get on this. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I, I think I think it was a a very big learning experience on many levels for the Imperium on how to do their deployments and what to do and what not to do. And I think that's very important lesson that they've learned and uh, continue working on. Wasn't yeah, always and, and... A bit, also a bit of uh, forward planning and uh, switching the doctrines for the Imperium. I know that they were training with uh, a lot of their carrier doctrines. I mean, what they would have learned then is extraordinarily out of date now. So they would need to do another one of those to catch up because the the spaceship PvP meta back then and the spaceship PvP meta now is wildly different. It is yeah, different. but a lot of stuff was going on with the um, insurance stuff and then the Mercarial uh, announced or pre-planning of uh, nerfs to the Mercarials. I think that the lesson is not uh, from how to fight the ships, etc. Because it, it, there are some MCs that gain some experience. I think it's more the lessons that is learned because after there was a whole new group of people and after a few years of not really doing the deployment ourselves, but like pretty much taking over space and a defensive thing that was not really that defensive, but we haven't done really a big deployment to somewhere, somewhere else. I think it was a good place for a lot of the newer people to learn how to do a deployment, uh, what to do, what not to do, maybe uh, how to go from there. And uh, I think we will... Uh, going forward will we see what uh, what that brings us i do think that there was a lot of uh, distraction stuff going on with the northern kerfuffle because it basically uh helped uh, initiative yeah i think that was the goal that uh, and it's mentioned here by uh bombardier i think that uh this allowed and it was interesting because uh, in nc we were uh, genuinely surprised at the uh the attack that happened in the east, where we were preparing for a big fight against a goon swarm and they never showed up, and we were waiting around waiting for them. And instead, they'd gone, sorry, west to Syndicate and taken out one of our Fortazars uh, that was a staging ground for the incursion into um, Syndicate, where we took all the moons from Initiative. And that was the beginning of Initiative, or not the beginning, but that kind of cap capitalized the point that Initiative was able to retake their moons while we were defending uh, home space, which may have been part of the reason that goons went up there to kind of uh, harass and stuff like that. But... Well, I don't necessarily know that they came up to harass. Uh, yeah, They said so. Uh, well, well, hold on a second, because 
if you go back, if you go back to the State of the Union or the or, or whatever it was when the announcement came out, and everybody jumping your ship, we're deploying right now, kind of a thing, right? Um, it sounded like a much bigger sort of uh, incursion into the North. Now everybody knew that they weren't bringing their supers or anything like that, so therefore it couldn't have been anything that overly significant, right? Um, you know, to that scope, anyways. Right. But but it certainly sounded like they were going to make an attempt at doing something. Now what they ended up doing was they ended up coming up there with their typhoon fleets and 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 dreadnoughts and things like that, right? And laying down, you know, cock, you know, the, you know, their Roach Motel, you know, sort of, sort of thing that they were going to try and do. Uh, there were a bunch of battles on, you know, trying to put down a Fortizar in Hakonin, right? Which always mm-hmm. seemed to me to be sort of a diversionary tactic to perhaps laying down these Roach Motels throughout space, and maybe something else was going on. I don't want to say goalposts got moved. Okay, because I know that that well, I, because I know that that gets used as sort of a, a a a slamming of you know whatever you know didn't work or whatever. But the whole idea that there was this alternate thing on Syndicate, I don't know if that's just something that happened, but it was something that could be pointed to after the fact and say, well, this is what it was all about. Yeah. I think less than goalpost moving, it was more that it was kept fairly broad and fairly vague, yeah, so goal, that when it comes to vague, yeah. The, so, so like when it comes to the end, you can pick what went well and call it a success, and tick what didn't go well and go, oh, those were learning experiences which we planned to have. So, like keeping it vague is, is works the benefit. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. If you are doing a thing and you're not really sure how it's going to turn out, that's not unwise to do for morale purposes. I mean, I, multiple choice win condition. I mean, I have to say, from you know, from my own personal perspective, right? You know, in flying, you know, some Intosha ships around up there to kind of defend against some of those attacks that were going on using sovereignty warfare, right? Um, I was quite alarmed with the prospect of if goons really want to go into a place, goons the Imperium really want to go into a place, okay, and start creating mass sovereignty panic, right? They have a very big capability of doing that. Whether or not they end up taking the things or not, it can create a situation where you have to respond to it. Yeah. So, uh, we but did. that only went on for a couple of weeks, and then yeah. it was like, you know, and then it was this burnout thing, especially when Test then up and decided to move out, right? right. And it wasn't sort of being hit from two different sides. Uh, it became a lot easier to manage. And by then, you'd already had some battles that had taken place out there where the Typhoon fleet obviously wasn't working out. And I think my favorite part of that was Laz losing his mind on Twitter at the Goon FCs. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And, uh, you know what the funny thing is? Darkness is now using the Typhoon fleet that we were using in Hakonan. So. Oh, God. <laughs> I just imagine you guys abandoning a bunch of ships and they're like, hey, let's use these ships they abandoned. Uh, yeah, we, 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 fought, we fought Typhoons like. An, a week ago or something like that uh, against the uh, GTC well, it's, it's neat to see these battleships come back. I, I think it's really neat. Um, okay, so then you have uh, Test up there <clears throat> and they get into a sticky situation diplomatically and they basically have to head south to fix well, that. What, what happened? I, I want to I say before we did yeah. that, because we're, uh, you know, we're sort of deep into August. We kind of skipped over a couple things that did take place in July. Um, w- one of which being Hard Knocks killed the first uh, Keep Star in the wormhole. Um, you know, which was which was um, which was big just from the simple thing of you know what it takes to to do the kind of asset movement in wormholes is just extreme. You know, and what these guys pulled off over the course of of months, months. of pre planning. 
and you know pre movement of of heavy assets you know into into that C six wormhole to take that out. Yeah. Um, you know, you know certainly be... goes certainly goes down in the history books of Eve. I mean, it just does. Yeah, they said it would be impossible to do. So, I mean, if I I, I think this is where the uh, wormhole folks get their reputation for being scary because if they're going to go after you, they. It, it's not an easy thing. It's not like a spur of the moment thing. It's going to take months. And so you got to like maintain that desire for months on end and having the ability to do that as an organization is kind of scary. Yeah. yeah. They commit to something against you. They've committed and you're screwed. Yep. And then, uh, you know, one of the other things there in July was the uh, the new the new Satio uh, uh, Blood Raider Satio mechanics um, came out, and and Imperium, you know, killed the new one, you know, killed it under the new under the new uh, killed a Satio under the new uh, the new mechanics and the new loop mechanics, which now kind of made it a lot harder for somebody to just you know ninja out you know whatever the winnings were at the end. All right, and so then we move to. Oh wait, we uh, still got for July. We oh got, yeah, we got uh, the new Project Discovery stuff. Yep, Project yep. Discovery is the finding the planets, which interests very scientific-minded um, people in the world. That you can crowdsource a virtual world to help you do some research. It's um, like, go ahead, Carneros. And we've got the the Alliance Tournament 15 running in the background through this the whole time. This was at the phase when Eve and T was doing the broadcasting and doing a fantastic job. Uh, Everyone was really... July was the feeder rounds, which were amazing, amazing to watch, amazing for the tournament, amazing for the viewer base, increasing literacy, increasing the breadth of people able to participate. It also meant that people got some real first-hand practice in without having to put forward a lot. It also meant that um, when it got to the main tournament, there are only like one or two matches, largely because of the silent auction, that weren't just kind of garbage stomps. It meant that the main tournament itself was extraordinarily competitive, and the feeder rounds themselves were really, really, really competitive as well. It was amazing. They contributed to the quality of the actual tournament rounds later. It, it was also a good test run for a lot of the back-end production stuff for EVENT in terms of our organizational skills and you know, bringing on board the new people that we had done over the year. Because obviously the AT is the event that you have to get right. Now, well, well, hold on. The feeder rounds actually happened in June, if I recall, and and the alliance tournament itself began, I think, in the last weekend of uh, yeah, the last weekend of July. Yeah, that, that's correct. So the the feeder rounds was uh, June, and even T covered those. Uh, although the streaming was an issue in terms of getting all the matches actually streamed because people dropped out last minute like i ended up just kind of like solo streaming the second day of the feeder rounds from one of the systems because shit went wrong um and then in terms of the um main tournament uh event did the first two weekends rather than the first weekend the year before um and, which i got to host which was an honor and wonderful and then next year looking forward we are 
it's looking like possibly maybe even team might be doing all four weekends and you know what I, you know, I think it, it it can't go it can't go overstated enough the job that event did in hosting those first couple of rounds uh the production quality was extremely high i think that i think if they are going to be hosting the entire thing this this come you know this coming year uh for what is it alliance tournament 16 uh it, it's just well earned i mean you know, you know the fact is they did a really fucking good bang up job uh, and in terms of the media people that we have covering the AT, we have never had such a strong and deep group of competent, intelligent, good personalities to actually host and do the casting. Like looking at it from AT12 when I first started casting to now, we have so many people who have a lot of experience and have so much insight. It makes the viewing experience so much better because we have these people who have got the experience down to really present a good show. We've got so many good casters these days. Okay. Uh, you guys are e-famous, uh, right? According to um, <clears throat> Max Singularity, who put out a request to say, hey, who do you guys think is e-famous? Everyone apart from me, apparently. <laughs> Everybody got triggered. Like, that was really funny. I thought that was funny. Uh, and it wasn't just one. It wasn't a competition. It was more like, who do you think is famous? And I've seen those threads in other games, and they never, ever go well because people get people object to that sort of thing it's um, just a bit of fun no i don't think anybody's legit mad i i know i, uh, I well actually i do but i also know it is just a bit of fun i think it's an innocent question i thought it was funny um so also the uh what's that called there the uh agency started um uh, right yeah july july the agency was, was the first one to come out that crap in the upper left corner of your screen that you don't look at hey i like it <laughs> Willem, talk about that and noisy too. Do you guys use it? Well, I, I know that I use it now, but when it first came out, I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. Yeah, I think I called it the the temp agency. Uh, it, 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 <laughs> it, the first time it came oh. out, um, it 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 was a structure. It wasn't obvious to me, at least, that it was going to be the core structure for all ongoing events, you know, PVE events in, in New Eden going forward, which it has become, and as we saw, as we'll come up later, becoming the core focus for all sort of PVE in EVE Online. I, I got 100,000 ISK yesterday for, uh, for uh, clicking on the agency for the first time on my character. And you also, you also played the hell out of... Um... Oh, what's it called? The, the Project Discovery. Yeah, Project Discovery. Yeah, for, yeah. When it first came out, I played it for, for for quite a bit and kind of finding out a way of of uh, you know sort of you know running it for the first while or whatever you know by basically not not trying to make a decision right that you could just you could just sit there and go nope no transits nope no transits and you you would end up with you know a higher than fifty percent you know completion rate or whatever but. Uh, Matani and I kind of talked about the agency thing, and he's like, yeah, I heard nobody likes it. And I was like, I think it's fantastic. I think it's the beginning of something really special. Where do you guys fall on the agency? It has potential, but it needs changes. It's, it's a bad attempt to roll out something to take over from the old PV that's extremely antiquated. Isn't it has potential, but need changes, like the driving mantra of EVE Online in general? Pretty much. True. Uh, but <laughs> I, I mean, for what they want to do with it, for it to take over from the journal and Agent Finder, it's just not there at the moment. 
and it's going to need those changes before it takes over. I uh, think that's next patch, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that. I mean, and and we're and um, Kriba's uh, Eve agent uh, site. That's. I mean, that's probably going to go away once uh, they. Uh, shut down the APIs because I don't think he's going to upgrade to ESI. And if that happens, then we're in real big trouble trying to find uh, agents. Now, I've heard also that that change, the API change, has also meant that um, Eve, uh, Eve Central, which does a lot of marketing information, is going offline as well. Like, they're not coming back. There's going to be a lot of things that break out there when they when they make that transition. Um, you know, th there will be third-party sites that are using this API stuff now that that maybe will choose to not convert over uh, to something else because of the, the level of effort that goes in. But there are there are countless numbers of spreadsheets in space out there that will absolutely break. <laughs> yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah, actually, I, I, I and somebody was showing us one yesterday, right? Uh, was it Commander A's or whatever was was showing yeah. you and I something that they did, and he said it's something like you know, god awful number of pages and links and everything else that's that's that uses API. Um, well, and so Eve is this game that you play that you build your own tools in order to mine data better, so that you can figure out how to extend your gameplay in other words how to get richer quicker etc and it's been kind of easy like pedestrians can do it but now it's switching to away from a readable uh you know xml code to something much more complicated so the people who are going to be able to build the tools are going to have to be more specialized as coders so you're going to see uh, not entirely i think uh, the esi actually makes it a little bit easier to to do imports and stuff in uh, in excel yeah, right now okay. we're right now we're facing like a Y2K issue, where <laughs> a lot of um, a lot of code is going to break, and a lot of it's just not worth uh, trying to uh, you know redo. And not yeah. just that, but because of how serious it is, it, some of the existing tools that were made by players that don't play anymore are just going to be gone. Unless yeah. someone wants to recreate it, obviously, because they're not coming back. Now, they're one of the coming back. one of the things we are talking about here is something in the future, right? As opposed to uh, getting back the to the getting back <laughs> to the agency, right? What was released in July regarding the agency was the first iteration of the agency. It was it, it was an event, okay, and it was going to be you know some events that followed on after that, right? But but what we know now is that it has expanded and is going to continue to expand to take in other things as well. So this right here is their platform for for a number of different things related to PVE, right? And in in yeah. general, you're seeing in 2017, that's a lot of uh, stuff going on that seems like uh, multiple bypass surgery, right? They're, they're yanking out a lot of stuff and they're switching it over to new stuff. So the postcode is almost uh, totally gone, right? Uh, changing API to, to ESI and getting rid of uh, the captain's quarters. You're seeing a, a general trend in, in 2017 of maybe trying to make EVE 2.0. Uh-oh. Noisy? Yeah, I was just I was just going to mention that the, yeah, the period in August that we're talking about was the beginning. Uh, the 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 more advanced issues of it were basically in a dev blog I think earlier this month. Uh, so yeah, so this is but this is just the the very beginning where they had like a little uh, event and, and things like that. All right, so 
<clears throat> By the way, Dirk, I think it's very commendable that you're you 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 play the new material. Like that's that's great because you're talking about Eve, and I don't think you give yourself enough credit for actually going out and doing the stuff that's offered in the game to know about it and then to be able to talk about it. So well, I'm not saying I've played any of the agency stuff. I'm just <laughs> it's like no, but you do other stuff. So the uh, you know it's not like you're separated from the game. Like I said, I got a hundred thousand isk for clicking on the the, the button <laughs> for the and you know what was funny was on my screen. Um, it wasn't even one of the icons on on the UI there. Uh, it was this little arrow, and I'm like, oh, what's in this little arrow? And I clicked on the little arrow, and it said the agency. So I clicked on it, and it's like, you just got 100,000 ISK. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. You've just right. upgraded or you know, whatever that thing is. All right, guys that are watching and listening, uh, happy New Year's. Um, we are moving into the uh, New Year's Eve talking about Eve. So thanks for being with us. All right, so what's next, August? Yeah, pretty much August. Um, I mean, you know, here CCP announced what they, they announced changes coming to to structures, most most notably in uh, the guided uh, void bombs um, that that had been kind of a uh, a uh, what a bit of a thorn out there as far as as far as structure you know structure attacks go. And um, remain and remain a thorn. They didn't change yeah. enough to change anything. We all still yeah, out there with uh, with. Uh, Weapons that don't require a uh, cap. But they, they're going to uh, do a next pass, like somewhere next year in the first few months. So I think that will, that will be an, uh, a big change to that and uh, will make it a lot better. I mean, you know, 2017, 2017 year in review, there are some definite uh, similarities to 2016 year in review, except for in 2017, we're basically saying that, and we're still in this entire long-term structure change that's going on out there, right? We still have pauses. Um, we still have stations in NullSec as we know them. Uh, we still have Fozisov. You know, we still have, it, this is a long-term thing that keeps getting longer, right? Yeah, but we're a long uh, step forward in the process of uh, of changing and, and fixing, Eve, in my personal opinion. I don't know that, that the SOV thing is a horrible, horrible thing that's still lagging, but I do think that it makes sense. If you look at, if they want to take it to something that's structure-based, they need to have all the structures rolled out. And then the, that, yeah. that means that they need to also kind of take a big nerf bat to anything NPC-based. And we are still not at a population where there's enough structures to actually support all the things that NPC has actually been handling. I'm going to agree. It does feel like there is uh, progress being made. We are getting closer to the end of this phase. Yes, there is still a lot of uh, 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 Aegisov uh, headaches going on. I happen to be in an Entosis fleet at the moment. You can't tell because I'm in talking in stations, but I am. <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not uh, the compelling gameplay that it could be. But uh, but I do still feel like Caleb's right. There is some sense of progress and momentum. And yeah. uh, Eve is, is in many ways getting better. To me, it feels like the only two things that I'm waiting for an announcement is that they're kind of playing with Stargates and that they are considering changing PI into, well, a new model of POCOs. I know that they talked about this way back at FanFest. Uh, some of the devs were mentioning it and there was discussions back and forth in structures, I think. So, so they have an idea of doing something like that. And then everything is going to be upwell based. And we're basically on a 2.0 version of POSs. 
Right. Yeah. My, my point was just that, you know what, uh, you know, here we are at the end of 2017. Right. And we still know that the, there is uh, there's a there's a long time to go. I mean, you know, you know, because we've got, you know, we've got several other things that need to happen out there. Um, and, you know, and it's why I think that 2017 overall was kind of this year of, you know, we're still sort of waiting for things to shake out before any big sort of things go on out there. Right. It's also why I'm really looking forward to uh, FanFest this uh, coming year, because I do think that a lot of the things that uh, we are waiting for to get fixed will be announced at that uh, point. Yeah, um, also, good. Sorry. The only thing I would say with what you were saying, Caleb, with the uh, PI stuff, is that actually going to be a change to PI, or is it just the structure? I think it's going to be something similar to what they just did with Lifeblood, right? So so a structure, uh, an upwell-based uh, POCO that is going to be handling uh, uh, processing of materials, and then most likely you're just going to get the AFK raw, and then you still have to do all the stuff, and it's going to be at risk in space, which is going to be very novel, and that will change the entire way that uh, planetary interaction uh, is handled. See, that would make sense, but... I don't know. Part of me just feels they'll change the structure for a pocket over to some module for something, and that'll be the end of it. Oh, because code-wise, I think it's uh, obvious that they want to reuse the whole upwell structure mechanics because it basically covers every planned idea that they ever had, whether you're talking about things like adding modules that can decloak things, whether you're talking about uh, uh, local chat, uh, PI, Anything you have imagined in the past can be handled by structures reusing old mechanics and putting them into those structures. All right. All right. Have we moved on to August yet? Well, we we are in August. We are you know, we are in August, but now we're in speculation mode, you know, on uh, on things as opposed to review right, mode. Cut, um, cut speculation. One of the you know one of the other things that got that, that came out in August, I think was I, I think was really the first glimpse at uh, reactions and and how moon mining was going right. to be changing. Right, um, you know that you know that came out in August. Well, that was a big deal because the market who had already corrected months ago, maybe even years ago for some people, like the moon minerals. A lot of people were buying them. Uh, as as the changes were getting close, right? These refineries, refineries are coming out. So there's a few things refineries are going to need. That is uh, a lot of moon minerals to actually refine and then to produce into uh, the other thing. Because it's not just refining, it's also, um, what are those things called? You, 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 how do you refine? How do you... Um, processing? It's not reprocessing. It's the moon, things specific to the moon minerals. Reacting? Oh, reactions. Reactions. Thank you. I know it was an R, but I couldn't put it in my head. So you're also needing those moon minerals that are refined to then be reacted against one another to create materials that you need for T2. So all these things were waiting to happen. So a lot of people were buying up raw materials to be able to do this you know, chain of events that you need for T2 materials. And even when these things were announced, um, prices jumped up by looked like, you know, I don't know, 100% or more. And still, there was a spike there, but the actual uh, spike happened way back in February, March, I think, was the big buy-up of uh, all the moon goo. Yeah, but when they announced it and it was coming closer and it was a fixed date on when these things were going to get released, you saw a giant spike there. And then it plateaued as people waited a few, a little, a few months, I guess. And then um, from that point, though, uh, when, when did these things actually get released, though? Was that October? Or, sorry, that would be December, wasn't it? Uh, October. End of October. 
Okay. So even up until then, the market, so imagine the whole second half of the year, the market is going crazy for moon minerals and stuff. All right. So I'll just set that up, but uh, let's continue on with uh, August into September. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely discussion going on out there about, you know, how the, you know, uh, how the entire moon thing was going to change. Right. But here we started to get some more details, which allowed people to react to those details. But, you know, you had forward looking people out there that were able to kind of take advantage of it earlier. Uh, because they had, you know, really far ranging stuff. And we won't get into that because you've had entire shows on that. But, um, you know, here is where we got, you know, some more details. And then, of course, yeah, it was coming out in October. And you got a lot of people at this time who are manufacturing moon probes and planning how uh, setting up spreadsheets and planning to rescan all the moons because they're all going to get shuffled. Remember that? <laughs> Yeah, yep, that was yep. good fun. <laughs> Noisy Gamer was one of those people who said, I'm going to rescan an area. That was a very nice lead in Carneros. Noisy, how did it go? Well, I finished Metropolis uh, last weekend, and uh, I'm taking a break doing the uh, running the uh, the the Christmas of, or the, the, new, the New Year's event uh, to get some uh, more skill points. And then after that, I'll resume uh, scan, uh, probing because. That's a heck of a lot of moons. Yeah, it's amazing. But you ended up doing the region that you wanted to do? Well, I, I said I wanted to do the Minmatar Republic, and so far I've done about half of it. Um, Metropolis makes up about half of uh, all of uh, Minmatar Republic space. Yikes, so you still have more. Wow, that's hugely ambitious. I could Crazy. be wrong, but didn't Tuzzy actually come on Talking Stations just about then and talk about all the plans for the Imperium? I don't think he talked about all the plans of the Imperium uh, on air uh, or off air, but uh, he did say that they had, in very broad strokes, you know, been preparing, I believe. It's just if someone actually wants to go back and watch that episode, because that yeah. clearly covers all the lifeblood stuff. Yeah. So, okay, so... So here's the problem. Here, we'll get back to war. Test comes back down south uh, because CO2 has basically put them in a position, a little bit of a pickle, where CO2 has joined triumvir Triumvirate and is saying they're attacking uh, FCON, and FCON runs to DRF, Drone Region Federation, uh, and the Drone Region says, look, FCON's protected by us, so if you fight with them, you fight with us. And tries like, well, we're fighting with uh, FCON, so we're going to fight with you too. And CO2 says, let's fight. They don't really care who they fight normally. So uh, Gigax known for just wanting to fight, not really do diplomatic stuff, breaking diplomatic accords when necessary, but to get that fight for his people. And they go to war. But Test has made a promise to the DRF that if they ever came under attack, that Test would help defend DRF. So the pickle is... CO2, your ally, is attacking somebody you swore to protect. What do you do? What did they do? Somebody got the answer? They said, we cannot be allies with CO2 because we have to be uh, true to our word and defend DRF. So we're coming down to fight against CO2. True, true to our other word, right? I mean, they, yeah, yeah, they had some well, kind of split loyalties there, right? But what, I guess apparently one of them superseded the other. Yeah, well, and, and so Brave said, look, we're with Test. We're not with CO2, so we'll stick with Test. And so that's the war that splits out in the South. Uh, and that happens in September. And there's some pretty big fights going on uh, there for a little while. Right? 
later, uh, we'll get into what happens, what happens to end that conflict. But I didn't know this until uh, just yesterday that the Goon Swarm has been watching all, the, all these developments, right? And their whole thing has been, in 2016, they were pushed out of their northern territories and betrayed by CO2 and uh, abandoned by AFCON. <clears throat> and, and so they had some scores to settle. They came down in 2016 and settled in the south, where they basically uh, were keeping an eye on CO2 and AFCON. Uh, and test because test attacked them uh, with with an eye on scores, you know, settling some scores. So they're watching this whole thing, and they actually were planning to attack CO2 uh, within a few months of, uh, I guess, October, whenever they imploded. We'll get to that in a minute on how that ends, but that's what's going on in the South. And it was a, and it was an entirely content rich zone down there, right? I mean, yeah, the South was the South was the place where where nearly everybody sort of converged um, in one way or another for you know for some good fights. Yeah, PL's down there shooting everything, and then I think after um, and so NC Dot has had te- territory taken away in Syndicate by initiative, who, with the help of uh, Goon Swarm and the Imperium, distracted the North long enough to retake a lot of the stuff in Syndicate. So NC comes back down and again reconquers Syndicate, and then looks to the South and says, "Let's go down South uh, to get into where the fights are actually happening, because this war is happening between Test and CO2 and all that kind of stuff. So let's go down and shoot as many people as we can." And so that's how the war has shaped for the second part of uh, 2017. And in actuality, there really aren't hot wars. They're more like uh, regional conflicts. Um, it's not fair to say it's not a war to people like Triumvirate, who's been at legitimate war, saying, we're going to fight you to annihilation uh, with AFCON. Uh, so I, maybe I take that statement and step it back a little bit but for for as far as like world war kind of stuff there really isn't anything that's recognizable compared to say 2016 um just to also add in so Mm -hmm. from like my perspective at this point this is basically when me and some others from provi start keeping an eye on catch because obviously co2 stuff's going on we know changes are coming we're looking for options as well. Other people are obviously, as you said, watching what's going on. Um, and it heating up was one of those things where obviously the smaller groups look for somewhere they can grab some soft. Right. Uh, Apothe has to leave us, so we're going to give him a little time just to say a little something. What was that? Oh, I literally just finished up typing it up so I could run and not need to say it. But basically, um, AT15 was amazing. We've already talked about the amazingness of the production quality of the Eventy show. Um, the Iceland crew is probably the best Iceland crew we've seen in years. I feel like every single person there was really, really strong in themselves and also worked together and had a really good rhythm together. Um, the teams were fantastic. Uh, my only kind of slight disappointment is that the ship meta towards the very end of the tournament was a little bit stale. Basically, battlecruisers and navy battlecruisers turned out to be severely underpointed, especially with expense with battleships being so expensive. But the tournament scene in a general space, despite the loss of gambling, in terms of people getting involved and playing and having a broad 
broader audience who are capable of watching and get the lingo and are invested and involved for the tournament's sake is all an all-time high. Thunderdome has been amazing. Rest in peace, uh, Logi Bro and Thunderdome, admittedly, for the time being. Um, but yeah, the, it, it was a wonderful, amazing tournament. And not only that, but the storylines and the upsets and the skill of all the teams involved, it proved even more so than last year, especially this year, that any group of pilots who are willing to put in the time, put in the practice, who have the motivation can make it really, really deep, make a really big name for themselves, taking down, just even taking games off of the titans of the scene, sometimes just knocking them out entirely. It was, it was an amazing, amazing tournament. And who won it? Uh, Vidra reloaded. And there were Drakes. Yeah. Drakes how... did, in fact, win the Alliance tournament. Like, how can you call the meta stale when Drakes were actually came out as a fresh thing to win the tournament? Well, Drake's it, again. It, it's again. kind of like end game of the stale mode, right? So so you got to the end where it was just species versus species versus species. Um, and when you're stuck in that mode, it turns out that shield has the best EHP to um, DPS ratio. So obviously drakes become good, but drakes are bad if you're doing BCs versus something else. But if you're specifically doing all BC versus all BC, the shield BCs come out on top, especially if you're throwing bands all over the place. Awesome, man. Thanks for joining us, Pothney. Appreciate Cheers. it. Cheers. i got to run. I've got to cook, and then I'm off to a New Year's party. But it's been a wonderful year on TS. Thank you for having me, and I hope to be on many more shows in the future. Madderall yeah. is a fantastic guy, a virtuous who's hosting quality, and he's also just really nice in real life. So pay attention <laughs> to his projects and look at his Patreon. I got, I got a point to Apothony, too, as an e-famous person that I, oh, I think is e-famous, <laughs> is uh, somebody that represented us really well at FanFest. Uh, and so we really appreciate that. And he helped out a lot of journalists getting them information and introducing them to people. And that was really cool. Thanks, Apothony. Have a great year. Happy New Year, Apoth. And by the way, is, I, I take it your heat is back on at your apartment? Oh. I, think you I guess his electricity's out, too, now. But yeah, poor guy. Sorry, yeah, no, it was out for three days, but it's back. It's great. Sorry, I am legit going now. I love you Later. all. Bye. Later, Bye. Uh, all right, cool. So we also lost Apple Pear uh, a while back. He is a little further east in proper Europe. Uh, so th he was gone. The fireworks were going off behind him, and he is on to New Year's. So New Year's Eve. Well, if we, want to, if we want to make it through this year before next year, <laughs> yeah, we should get going. We might, we might want to skip into September at this point. Um, this is where CCP introduced Resource Wars. Um, and uh, I don't know. Noisy? You know anything about Resource Wars? I know a little bit about it. Um, the Resource Wars are basically for newer players. You can solo them. Uh, I know that you can, like, at least for, I know that you can, for the um, resource wars where you have to mine, I know it's easy enough to solo the the level one and the level twos. I've heard that I've seen people uh, on YouTube solo level threes. The level fours, you actually need some teamwork, I believe. Hmm. And not just that, but don't they give the battleships as the rewards with the really messed up reward thing? Or is that actually being fixed now? I have not seen it since, but yeah, it's the the LP store for those is 
the, the when I looked at it, it was messed up. It was okay if you're a brand new player. That's why I mentioned brand new players. It's okay if you're a brand new player. It gives you an idea of how to fit a ship, or it gives you an idea that you might want to. Uh, it's also nice for the um, uh, for the new alphas, and I know that that's in October, but it, it's it was a good thing for 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 that as well. Isn't it also worth mentioning that it was the first actual integrated iteration on some AI behavior and things related to standing and activities in belts? And we also had earlier with the well, pacifier gate, we had the the fact that the CCP introduced uh, modules and ships that are sensitive to things like standing. So we do have a little bit of things slowly creeping in. Well, I, I think that actually started, I want to say last year, with uh, the introduction of the mining, uh, the NPC mining operations, where they would attack you if you had bad standings, and they would uh, let you slip in and mine among them if you had good standings. Yeah, I think yeah, it, it's more of that, right? We, we are getting the same in uh, in the resource wars. So uh, a lot of new stuff, PVE-based. You know, I, I think it bears mentioning the, you know, the fact that when we start talking about things like the agency and, and, and resource wars and the various events and things like that, for years, uh, PVE in this game was fairly stagnant, uh, especially in places like HiSec, you know, where, you know, you know, getting the damsel and all that kind of stuff, right, had been bitched about for so long. Um, I'm not saying that it's necessarily at the level that people would necessarily like it to be, but you can't say that CCP hasn't um, generated some some lower level new PVE situations, as well as some higher level stuff with regard to, you know, with regard to the, um, the, uh, the shipyards, um, it, I don't know a whole hell of a lot about a these lot, forward operating right? bases, but you have to say that it's a lot. You have in, uh, you have NPCs that, with the AI, can actually attack player structures. Pretty much everything the last eighteen months since uh, uh, CCP Ghost started this whole thing of trying to fix the PVE, we didn't have any development on PVE in in the past. Really, it was all old and antiquated uh, systems. We are getting. Brand new systems for everything PVE related. Whether you're talking about the agency uh, UI interface, everything is getting a little bit of a polish and a shine. And sure, it's not at the best place yet, but it's definitely a lot of work. I, I am actually a little bit surprised when you start stacking all the things up. It's a lot. Well, that's what I mean. It's it's additive over time, but like when you mention each one of these sort of in isolation, you kind of lose sight of the fact of there's been quite a bit added. Carneros? And they move, if you move among the new NPCs, they feel more real than the old ones did. Partly, I mean, the standings is an element of that. The, the uh, AI is an element of it. They just, they feel, mm -hmm. yeah, they feel like more players. real. So, um, Wilhelm, you, you play uh, a lot of different things, and part of that is uh, uh, you interact with the environment a lot, PVE. What do you think of the uh, differences now? Definitely, I mean, as has been stated before, uh, PVE has been long neglected, and and I, I like where CCP is going. But as we've said in the past, there's definitely more iterations required to sort of tune this up, and we'll see if we actually get them. CCP is, of course, famous for um, introducing something and iterating a little bit and kind of wandering off to the next thing. Right. 
There's also the whole uh, thing that I think Ashtarothi was on at some point talking about um, emergent behavior, AI, and procedural generated content. And if CCP is doing what they usually do is to try and think outside the box, this is exactly kind of it, right? It's something that pretty much only responds to what players are doing, but more on a geographical and geopolitical sense. Uh, just the fact that potentially AI will start being able to clean up and remove structures in space if they're not actually fueled, that's like mind-blowing to me in my personal opinion. Right. Um, yeah. So a lot of people, though, think that <clears throat> PV is... Um not really what Eve's about. It's vampiric PvP, and so really that's where all the focus should be, et cetera, et cetera. But if it does get involved and create a, a, a blurred line between the environment <clears throat> and your actual people enemies, it could get interesting. It could also get tiring, right? Some people actually like to relax and watch Netflix while they do something that's monotonous. So they feel productive on one end, like mining and then coming every half hour to empty out the cargo hold. Um, those kinds of things can allow you to do and focus on other things while you participate in the game. Like so socializing. That. If you take yeah, the socializing. Of, uh, of the fact that they can actually mine the belts now, right, then, then you have this potential where the cycle of, of respawns of uh, raw materials will be dependent directly on what the players are doing with potential NPCs that are actually going to drain your belts and your raw materials, right? So you have to start interacting with them, which leads to consequences. So so there's a lot of potential in what CCP have been doing for the last 18 months. Right. All right. Let's talk about, uh, let's move forward. Dirk, can you move us forward or? Oh, well, I mean, you know, you know the lifeblood expansion um, yeah. that was going to be coming, you know, about a month later had a bit of a balance pass. Um, so people were able to go in and kind of take a look at that and kind of work with CCP to give feedback. And, and they came out with a balance pass on that, which, again, gave some more details. Um, but then, uh, you know, we. You know, we had more details coming out about Eve Vegas, um, and Eve Vegas was going to end up being, I think, the well, it was certainly the biggest Eve Vegas, uh, you know, of all time, um, and and I believe it was towards the end of September uh, that it was announced that Eve Vegas had pretty much freaking sold out. I got to stop here for Eve Vegas because these guys, uh, first of all, Dirk was kind of the ambassador of the party side of Eve Vegas. Uh, and on the other side of that, for me, is the the ambassadors of the convention side of Eve Vegas, uh, which is a noisy gamer and Wilhelm, uh, and also dire necessity. Um, but you two guys, to me, you really treat the, the the conference like a conference. You sit there and you bring your notepads and you find a place to sit. You're on time. You know, you uh, actually make notes of what people are saying, and then you discuss it afterwards. And I find that amazingly exciting, you know, to see people kind of treat it like a, a symposium or something. So you're welcome. <laughs> but well, well, tell us I, about that. Well, okay, I'll, like from my side, one, I started this, you know, this started taking the notes when I, I would go to eFanFest because I, I, I started my first FanFest I think was 2012 and my first E Vegas, I think was 2015. And so th that was a carryover because, you know, you always want to hear what the devs say. You want to record what they've said. Uh, you can't always rely on uh, uh, something being filmed, especially the last, you know, the those first two years where uh, of that. I went to E Vegas where like, I, I think one year um, the, 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 the TMC crew, actually came out and did the uh 
did the uh, video uh, taping for for CCP for that. So 2015, yeah. Yeah, they set up at last minute because CCP announced, oh, yeah, we're not streaming this or anything. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, you've left that out, Matterall, from the whole year in review. We changed from GMC to INN for good. Uh, I thought that was 2016, fall, December. But we'll, we'll get to TIS in a minute because we need to go over our episodes, too. We had some big episodes. We'll do that at the end. Now, so you know, also in September, we should probably remember the fact that is when we had Judgment Day. Talk about Judgment Day. What happened? So, well, I mean, you know, from from your and my perspective, right? I mean, we're sitting there just, you know, talking one night and talking in Station's Discord, and all of a sudden we start seeing stuff light up out there about the fact that, you know, Judge has turned on CO2 and, um, you know, basically basically robbed the place blind, uh, you know, cut off a bunch of stuff and was, to, you know, and was basically turning it over to Imperium, I guess, at that point. And, um, and so behind the scenes, so you know what's going on, when we hear something like that, we immediately start contacting people we know to try to get to the bottom of it to see if it's real or not. And there have been a lot of false alarms, and this one sounded way too crazy. So we started doing that, right? Well, yeah, and we started contacting people, and then, we, you know, and then we're sitting there talking with a few people in channel, and uh, it's like, you know what, why don't we go live with this? And we ended up doing probably, I don't know what, five hours of live coverage as it was breaking out there um, and caught all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, <laughs> all of the discussion that was going, because of course the judge is streaming this live um, out there. It's being seen, right. Uh, you know, conversations are being streamed. The, the, the threats from, from, uh, from GigX were being streamed live. Um, you know, and eventually that night we were able to have a bunch of people come on and talk, including the judge, including gigs after he, uh, after he caught an immediate ban. Yeah. And that was, uh, and that was an interesting moment because it happened, it happened right at the end of the, the broadcast and we just ended it with that. And, uh, Literally, you see the emotion, a very raw emotion of uh, GigX saying, whoa, I just got banned. Yeah. And how, he, and how, yeah, he literally caught the ban live as we were talking, yeah. And a half hour before that, he knew that he was on the chopping block. He's like, I don't care what they do to me or whatever. But it was clear when he got it, it took the wind out of him because he was somebody who's been playing this game since the beginning and doing a lot for it, and it was a big part of his life and that sort of thing. So it was, it was really... Um, it was a very uh, interesting night, uh, to say the least, and we just uh, happened to, to, to get up on it and uh, had thousands of people watching uh, while it was happening. Yeah, I think it rolled into like four o'clock in the morning my time or something like that. I mean, yeah, we, you know, right. yeah, because we, we were just having one of our late night chats. Right. And uh, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it went down. But, you know, I mean, you know, to get into you know a bit more of the details about it. Um, you know, as many people know, I mean, this is something, you know, you know, at least, at least from, as the news came out in, in hindsight and everything, um, this is something that was, that was worked on by, by Aerith and Denominate, you know, with the judge at, um, at, uh, I guess over the course of a couple different summits and things like that, um, you know, as part of them all being part of the CSM, um, you know, the, there was bad blood, you know, that ended up happening between, you know, the way the judge felt as though he was being treated and, you know, sort of what was going on with CO2 because Giggs is sort of the kind of, you know, balls to the wall, you know, person that he is, um, you know, for good or bad. I mean, there are people out there that will sit there and say the way Giggs runs things is bad. And there are people out there that say, you know what, they'd follow him to the end of the freaking earth. So, I mean, as with anything in EVE, 
Um, you're going to have the people that support one side or the other in it. But, you know, ultimately, what it, what did it lead to? Ultimately, it led to um, the absolute, you know, death of CO2 um, because, uh, you know, that was a place that was that was run by its leader. Right. And so and this came out that, uh, you know, Aerith of Goon Swarm, a CSM member, had talked to the judge, a CSM member at a CSM summit and finished finished pulling him over to their side to go ahead and betray his own guys. So the judge uh, went and did it after after they went to the summit. Uh, and so uh, Aerith and uh, Goonswarm took partial credit for the whole thing. Uh, and that was... <clears throat> And that was pretty interesting because it brought into uh, you know a whole level of like well wait a minute what's CSM doing and that kind of thing. So the overall incident was huge. It was one of the biggest heists. It was one of the biggest turnaround because remember we had set this up before earlier in the show that there was a big war happening. Test was coming down to fight CO2. DRF, Fcon were going against Triumvirate, and there's a huge battle, a huge amount of activity going on, so much so that PL and NC are coming down to fight in those fights as well. And MC has been hired uh, by CO2, I believe, and they're going to fight on the opposite side. So it's turning into a big war, and pow, the power gets pulled, uh, and everything just crumbles. Um, Triumvirate does stick around, fights it out, and does make FCON basically submit. Uh, which is amazing. That's why we gave him the alliance. One of the reasons we gave him the alliance of the year, our most influential uh, alliance of 2017, because they soldiered on and actually finished out that war. Yeah, and uh, instead of just kind of like kicking it and going, yeah, we ain't going to win this, they just kept going. And now there's no FCON for it. <laughs> right. you know, and, you know, and of course, this is another one of those things of, of sort of... Um, the ramifications of your actions at some earlier part in Eve, right, might have a way of coming back and biting you in the ass later, right? So when you go back to CO2 flipping during the Battle of MTACO and and stuff like that, right, during you yeah. know during Casino War B and all that, right, and then here you have this long-term behind-the-scenes sort of courting of somebody who has the ability to to do what the judge was able to do, um, you know, from from kind of the Goon Imperium standpoint, right? I mean, this was a long-term behind the scenes rolling of something that ultimately brought the ultimate destruction down on somebody they saw to be a traitor yeah and you by using a traitor you yourself you Dirk, covered a lot of the details on the reasoning and all that when uh, when you were covering the the judgment day thing because uh, there's a lot of things going on before that decision to even get courted by uh, the csm Right. One of our shows talks to Aerith and, and he lays out the plot. And uh, so, yeah, you can go back and look at that. Um, all right. So that so basically CO2 is gone. It really took um, a lot of people by surprise. And it really uh, it sent a shockwave through NullSec uh, to see something so big go down so completely, because uh, in the process, uh, the leader of CO2 got himself into trouble and it was broadcast live and so ccp banned him right away pretty much like i said live on the show when we were covering it the same night that it happened and that sent an additional shockwave of not only is this really you know sparta of eve online gone but their king is gone and dead you know he's like officially dead sent shockwaves it was a 
hard to underestimate how big an impact that was. Yeah, and like you know, and like you said, it did put a crimp in what could have been an expanding war down there. Um, but I think I, I think longer term, you know, what it also did was it removed one of the you know removed one of the entities that were willing to kind of you know throw combat up against the wall and see what happens. Um, you know, e- even though look. All of the other players and all of the other corps and things like that have moved on to other places and things, right? You know, what unified CO2 was gone, therefore they dissolved, therefore that chess piece was sort of moved off the board. Yep. Uh, Wilhelm, are you trying to say something? All right. I think his mic might have gone out. So, oh well. All right, uh, so... What happens then in October? So FanFest is over, CO2 is dead, um, the, the wars are wrapping up, or they were unplugged, uh, and then we're into what, October? A lot yep. of logistics people are running around like headless chickens, at least in Delve, dropping uh, Athenors and Tataras right and left. Yeah, fuck ton of building is going on with all the the rollout of lifeblood and we've all already missed uh, talking about what structures in general were, were doing because they were being dropped everywhere is it 15 or 16 at that point that's already in dell keep star wise a lot i don't even know okay so lifeblood expansion is out oh sorry that was uh, in october so wow we get to november i never thought we'd make it to november well, 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 hold on a second, because we, we didn't actually make oh, it to oh, but, oh. well, we didn't actually make it to November, and we did talk about E Vegas sort of back when we were still covering some things from 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 September. But um, here is where we actually had the lifeblood expansion hit, right? Complete reshuffling of all moons, complete um, um, no, uh, the, you know, the moon mining pauses that were out there, boom, shut off, right? So now we've got the actual thing happening and the scramble to to build. Uh, you know, build the new structures, get moon mining operational again to be able to feed the market. You know, all of this, all of this happening, I think, like a week and a half or two weeks after Eve Vegas. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, Wilhelm had been muted. He wanted to make one last comment on the CO2 thing. Are we able to hear you now? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. So one of the things that sort of we got to own up to as Eve players is that while this story started about about the judge's betrayal became like one of those started off as one of those great tales of, of what you can do in Eve online. It quickly outside of the Eve community got overshadowed by the judge and his threats. And it became a story outside of, of, of our community of Eve online players are horrible people. Here's another example. And that's sort of one of the, the, the sort of the worst parts of the whole situation for me is it really ended up, reflecting badly and you know the judge had every right to be upset but he's kind of pissed on us with his behavior by turning the story into 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 bad behavior by players yeah the uh yeah the the there there were actually two things one a lot of people outside the community didn't like what the judge did and i think some people inside the community if i remember something at vegas didn't appreciate it too much either and so that was that was the judge's actions and then gigax with the physical threats outside the game, that just like piled on top of everything else. And the perspective from the game development community was, okay, here are the players driving the Eve narrative again. It's not being driven by by CCP. It's being driven by the players. Something exciting is happening. 
And they would reach out to their friends who were Eve players and say, hey, were you involved in this? Did you, did you know about this? And they'd come up to me at work and I'd, I'd wave them over to my screen and show them, here I am at work playing on my second monitor. <laughs> I'm camping the, the Keepstar that used to be the circle of two uh, headquarters. And I'm in a Hector with a bubble up, you know, while I'm working. And um, and they would all giggle. But they, they the bad behavior part... People would just say, "Okay, well, they they ignore that um, within the game development community as being something that is either a uh, uh, people don't understand the Eve player base, or they or it's just the reporting style by the reporters. It's not in the same way that game developers tend to filter." what gamers say on the forums because they only speak in hyperbole and they're always super, super negative and no one ever compliments a game dev. It's, you know, they just filter it. So they, they ignore it. They see past it. Yeah. Right. And people that are in the know do actually tend to say that the EVE community is actually among the best communities in gaming. Sure, there's the hardcore uh, aspects of the game, but still... It's one of the best communities when it comes to everything else social. All right. So, so that's what happened with, um, with the end of the war. And so now comes payback time as darkness invades. There's still a little bit of conflict going on in the south, by the way. Triumvirate is attacking DRF. They're going back and forth. So this hasn't stopped. But a new chess piece has moved onto the board. And that is that Guardians of the Galaxies, led by Darkness, attacks a DRF in the north in a bold way. They they attack an area and drop a keep star, and the fight ensues over the keep star. And that was an amazing fight because DRF, caught by surprise, scrambles uh, people to fight that keep star. Actually, it's like 24 hours later, so. But they. They just fight and fight and fight. Actually, kind of like Russians. They die and die and die and die, but they don't give up, and they manage to kill the Keepstar, which is a huge blow uh, to Darkness, who has to retreat with their super capitals that they put on the field in order to defend that Keepstar. Luckily, uh, DRF was so wounded that they couldn't really uh, take advantage of killing capitals because they didn't have the right ships. Uh, So the super capital fleet of Darkness is able to escape. Now, Darkness said, we did this because this is the beginning of a war that's payback for you letting Test use your space to stage while they attacked us in the north a few months earlier in July. Uh, And so that war then continues through November. uh, And not much really gets, a few uh, assets get killed here and there from DRF, but DRF manages to resist. And I think that was a very interesting display by Darkness because they were basically trying to get their people motivated to show that they could do things on their own. Uh, and they didn't actually, uh, they weren't really able to take any territory that was significant, uh, and they were pushed back. So I don't know if uh, it was a real victory for them. Any thoughts on that conflict? It was a great grand gesture at the beginning with the Keepstar. Boom. Yeah. Right. Impressive. A lot of drama. Putting there. your balls on the table, right? I mean, you just got to give them credit for that. And you got to give it credit, you know, you know, to the Russian response that that uh, you know that was able to muster the forces and and you know you know put up a uh, put up a big defense, get the you know get the keep star from going online and uh, and knocking out some supers in the process. Yeah, that if, had you're, a, go ahead. if you're picturing the defense being just lo- uh, 
pinging for fleets, everyone logging in, getting in a ship and undocking. That is absolutely not what happened. They had to form fleets far away, and they had to travel, travel, travel to get to where the fight was. And they had short time was short, and they're feeling the pressure, and they're having to prioritize. Okay, our our priority is going to have to be to get the keep star down over anything else. And, and yeah, that colored the whole fight. It was a lot of work to do there, and huge logistics. Now, you know, looking back now, what was the reason for this? Why did Guardians of the Galaxy and Darkness, you, 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 why did they drop a keep star in MTech? What was the significance of MTECO? Uh, it's a forward operating base for a further invasion into DRF space. But wasn't there also something to do with, you know, test having been allowed to stage out of there or something like that for their attack well, like, on them? We mentioned that that was the public narrative. Whether that's really related to it, who knows? That sounded yeah, I, jaded, huh? Well, I, I, I think there's, you could see it being talked about in Vegas because you had uh, Sword Dragon hanging around with Lady Scarlet, and I believe trying to get the blessing of NC Dot, you know, to leverage NC Dot to help them with this front. Uh, maybe working with PL too. Everyone hung out with Lady Scarlet at Vegas. She's fun. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's true. You're, you're another ambassador of the social uh, part of uh, Vegas too. Yeah. And she likes hanging out with you too, but the 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 point is that there was definitely something being concocted there. Um, and when that didn't happen, because NC is not going to attack DRF, uh, they have some business relations uh, in the game with renting empires and stuff like that. But also, there's no reason for them to do that. And why would you make an enemy if you don't have to? That kind of stuff. The real war for them is basically against Goonswarm. Uh, so yeah, so there was no uh, added support and. Uh, so there really couldn't be much made of it, but there were some grand gestures. Maybe part of it is the poetics of we're taking over the system you let test stage out of. So, you know, do you got the signal? And the thing about this to me, the more poetic part of it all was that you have this retired general, uh, Manfred Sidious, coming out of retirement to lead the troops in order to win this big battle. I thought that was kind of cool, kind of like the farmer, the farmer soldier kind of thing. Wasn't there also the uh, fake coup going on at the time as well? around the time of Vegas that was uh, like prefacing it. Yeah, there was a lot of diplomatic uh, voodoo going on uh, between Jay Maricady and the uh, editor of Eve News 24, Johan, I guess. And, uh, the, you know, that just gets so... It's not necessarily... It gets ugly and it gets personal, but beyond that, it really gets kind of shady and... Uh, it is a part of the game. I, I don't really have an, a lot of details on it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it did end up having those kind of longer term effects, right? Because, you know, now you've got this whole thing with, you know, a bunch of battling going on out there and there were some leaks going out and, you know, all kinds of shit, right? I mean, it, you know, it, turned, into a, it turned into a typical Eve shitstorm by the end of it. And then I think the next most salient thing that happened in the calendar was suddenly you could fit twice as much jump fuel into your jump bays because it all shrunk. Was that about right? Oh, and the alpha injectors. That's a bunch of things that hit at once, too. There was the, also the lifting of... Uh, we didn't get into it very much because uh, they really decided to... Uh, CCP said, we're going to lift the curtain on alphas. We're going to give them more room to play. So returning players can actually be a lot more meaningful 
uh, and they allowed them to go up to battleships and stuff like that. So that was that there. was yeah. Well, in in November, you had a number of significant mm-hmm. changes related to alphas, right? You had you had the entirety of of it expanding out to being able to be at twenty million skill points. Um, you could still train for free up to five million. They expanded the number of skills. They expanded the race of of ships you could fly. Um, you know, up to battleship, which would therefore also include faction battleships and and you know other faction ships, because now you've opened up the the racial lockdown. Um, you know, they put in you know they put in the the alpha injectors, um, you know, which which operate somewhat differently than than uh, the injectors, you know, the skill point injectors that we know, meaning that they're not created by players using farmed skill points. Uh, and then sold on the market. These are things that can be bought from NPCs at a fixed price um, that allow them to inject, uh, what is it, 50,000 skill points per day um, within- Your favorite feature, Dirk. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. But anyways, it, it happened, you know, um, and, and you know, we, we now have this expanded alpha class out there that that is much more viable um, as well as because of that 20 million skill point cap and all the blocks taken off and things, right? If you have what used to be an Omega character, an Omega account that happens to have a whole lot of skill points on it, right? You now have a much more viable free-to-play character um, than you did before. What that actually means for a true alpha coming up from ground zero, uh, I'm not quite sure. Um, you know, but but certainly for existing characters that are already out there, it now made that character actually something you could log on and use. And that's what we hope happens. But there's also this the the specter of using um, characters as just another ship. So the character is something you park in a in a region of space that you climb into that climbs into a battleship that has uh, modules on it, and you can see the three tiers of equipment. And so the character becomes just a piece of equipment that you light up when you need to, without any penalty to your actual gameplay. Yeah, very uh, so, much so like uh, caches of uh, of ships, right? It's caches of caches dreads, of, uh, of of alphas as well. So now they're going to be even more the foot soldiers of. Uh, of the doctrines, in, in my personal opinion. And I think it's a good development. It makes it a lot more interesting uh, game-wise, and especially when structures are finished. Yep. Now, um, you know, one of the things we did miss from October, and I guess it bears mentioning, is uh, the layoffs at CCP that uh, that had a heavy hit on, on the community team, um, which also had a trickle effect on, on some things that occurred in November, like the anger games had to be canceled because there was nobody capable or prepared to be able to, to um, you know, help out with that from, from the CCP side of things. Um, there's a lot more weight that is put down on, on what remains of the community team. As well as all of the other layoffs that occurred, you know, in places that aren't necessarily forward facing, you know, to where we have direct contact with them or anything. And people who didn't get laid off, but their job got relocated to another um, country and they have to either relocate as well or uh, find another job. Yep. You know, obviously it had a direct impact uh, or, or will have a direct impact on, on the VR side of the business um, where it looks like they are, you know, shutting down, you know, kind of development there. It may be that they're spinning off the unit. Um, they're going to maintain, you know, some sort of presence in VR, but uh, it does not appear to, you know, have the same sort of focus that, that uh, where we thought it was headed, you know, with the fact of, you know, 
the uh, you know the titles like Valkyrie and Gunjack and uh, Spark that they had you know already released. And looking okay. at the VR uh, in general, I think it was a good time to get out. Okay, so uh, enough about CCP. We have Asher Elias back, uh, FC from G- uh, Goon Swarm. So uh, welcome back. We started off on the Meta Show. We're finishing up on talking in stations. We're now in November and December. How's it going, Asher? Hey, thanks for having me back. Great. Might need to turn him up there a little bit. Okay. So actually, we just finished a lot of the threads of war. And one of the criticisms, Asher, that you had was that this year was really not about war or ships because uh, the way that CCP had been balancing the game, it just seemed like uh, it was, you know, fighting and the uh, the motivations to fight weren't there. Well, I mean, it, the proof is in the pudding. It's like I said yesterday, if you look at the guests that you have on your show, you have to do a show every week, right? Like, so you have to get guests. So you need to get people who are doing something that week. And you look at the guests in your show, and this applies to pretty much every Eve show, and it's finance people. It's people who, who deploy moon miners. It's people like that. And like it used to be a year ago, it'd probably be FCs because FCs were doing something. But you wouldn't want to interview an FC if an FC wasn't doing something, and generally they aren't. Um, as far as any metric I can look at, it, the activity is way down. Uh, and, and I don't think it's because of a lack of desire. I don't think EVE players decided suddenly they don't like the PvP. It's just that, that the environment's not conducive to it. Well, conflict exists, but the reason for war it seems to it seems to be down some, right? I mean, there's there's not necessarily a good reason, at least during 2017 with the changes that occurred and and kind of a lot of the things that CCP put in for going and taking somebody else's property. All right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dirk, imagine you're making an RTS, right? And you want to design one that is a fun uh, RTS. So you're making Age of Empires 4. Do you think it would be a good idea to make it so that if you built walls and towers, it was stronger than building any kind of unit that could attack you? Would that be a good design yeah, for Age of Empires 4? Right. So why is it different in EVE? Why would you design a system where the people who defend are at the advantage? It, 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 it would clearly discourage people from attacking because people, you know, you have to have an overwhelming amount of units from the same resources. You, also you, need, a... you need enough structures rolled out before you can actually allow them to be easier to destroy. You also have a mismatch in the marketing uh, of him as well, because if you remember back to FanFest, it was like uh, these beautiful, beautiful structures. Look how beautiful they are. You can bring your family and move into one. And, oh, my God, pirates are destroying this Keepstar, and they tear it to pieces. And the marketing was like, hey, we're giving you these structures that, um, you know, to PVPers that you guys can destroy. Won't that be fun? And first of all, bad message for, you know, people who want to build like myself or whatever. And then the delivery of uh, being able to destroy these things wasn't a reality. So it's kind of frustrating on both ends. No, I think the phrasing they sold it on was build your dreams, wreck their dreams, or something like that. Well, that's the tagline, yeah. But the but the imagery is all telling you, like, you know, build something beautiful. And then, and then uh, for the other people, it's like, if somebody builds something beautiful, you get to tear it down. Uh, so the... But neither one would seem to be a reality because uh, uh, I guess you can't tear these things down very easily or it's it's too much work to tear it down. But for those people, I think there's still people who are, you know, afraid to put something up that can be torn down. So, uh, but 
If yeah. CCP wants to okay. move everything onto these structures, right, all activities, markets, uh, industry, all of it, and get rid of things like uh, the passes and the conquerable stations, there, there needs to be enough out there working for the whole ecosystem to be balanced. And after that, they can allow them to then be destroyed and figure out the destruction to creation ratio that's going to be needed in the future. Okay, so finally we get to December, and uh, unfortunately we have um, a CCP here that is, uh, uh, I guess, dies too early, and so they do a fundraiser for him. Uh, there's some changes to the agency, uh, the agent, uh, and I guess uh, there, was, there really wasn't much combat in December, was there? In December? Uh, uh... This month, last month? Asher, were you doing anything? Yeah, I've been doing stuff all month. We've killed uh, like 30 carriers, maybe 10 oracles, a hell. But it, it necessarily, we have to do it sort of Black Ops style because yeah. there's not, you know. Um, so I've been dropping, I've been dropping like Citadels in, in Horde and Guardian in Space just to get them to come out and fight them, even if I'm greatly outnumbered and under their cap umbrella, just because I have an itch and I must scratch it. Um, mm -hmm. But it's it's in no way like a, a serious or a fair fight because I I just can't you know uh, I don't I can't move my super fleet out of out of delve without compromising delve so I can't really fight anyone fairly so I can only do sort of in black ops or hit and run style fights which are fun but it's not the same thing as a real a real war a campaign yeah. So uh, one thing that we skipped, as Bargos points out, is that FCON does uh, acquiesce to Triumvirate's pressure, and they fold into... How did they actually disappear? FCON's so unnotable that we don't remember them dying. <laughs> they are still alive. So, so rude. They're still alive with 137 alive, members. Yeah. But they did collapse into, uh, I guess, obscurity, or they went somewhere else to kind of reform, and we'll, we'll see what happens there for them in 2018. Uh I, how did that affect you guys? I thought you said something very interesting yesterday, Asher, that you guys were um, pretty much preparing to go to war with CO2 anyway, and then they got taken out a little bit early. Yeah. Um, then we probably would have, by necessity, gone after Evcon afterwards. But like I said, then it was kind of a the decision was that we didn't think Evcon would have the backbone to stand and fight. And you saw when faced with a much like lesser opponent, in my opinion, they folded almost immediately. So I'm certain that would have been true for us as well. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the, uh, the judge thing happened. So uh, it, it sort of ruined the need for us to go after CO2. And then we're like, well, we could go after Avcon, but once again, like, it, it, it's a lot of man hours to mobilize, you know, the entire Imperium to go somewhere. And if you know the group is not going to put up a fight like Epcon, it, it, it sort of disincentivizes you to do that. Right. Uh, since uh, since uh, Asher's here, um, one, one thing that I'm wondering is with the way that combat is now at the end of 2017 as compared to the beginning that is like following like a, uh, a soft map on Dotland even worthwhile to look and see what conflicts might be happening anymore. Cause it, cause it seems that the, that everybody is just ignoring the SAV system until they have to do something with it. Yeah. I don't think like if you, if you go to a timer board or, or whatever, I don't think you're going to get a feeling for, for most conflicts because, um, you know, they don't, 
like you said, people are not interested in taking a sob and they're not interested in doing intosis fighting. So it's more of a chore and it's almost become, you know, you almost try to do it when they've already been broken rather than, uh, you know, in the middle or the start of a war. Well, you know, and, that, and that's what I just typed. I just typed in Twitch chat. I said, to be honest, if you were actually attacking anyone to take the land, like you actually wanted it, right? Um, you, would you even bother with sovereignty warfare initially? I mean, pretty much, you would probably, you know, go in and and hitting their other structures and breaking their will, and then you deal with the sovereignty aspect of it afterward. Yeah, though it's it's kind of interesting how the Fazisov works. If you're not there, your iHubs are incredibly vulnerable. Like they because you have to defend them um but defending them is relatively easy so like it's easy to set a timer it's hard to finish the timer um if if, if you're not if you're if they're there if the defenders are active um so it, it's it's a sort of weird scenario where it's not easy to attack someone else's solve um but it's easy to get your chain yanked by them if you uh if you you know leave your space uh, so it's kind of a, it's kind of a, I think that's a bad design in both ways. I think it should be easier to take someone else's solve. Obviously they have, should have some advantage, I, but um, right now, I don't know if anyone's ever been on a really a serious entosis op against an opponent who's actually there. It's, it's, it doesn't matter what advantage you have. It's, it's almost impossible to do. Hmm. All right. So the, the end of the year comes uh, as um Triumvirate has one more shock, and that is one of their <clears throat> key builders, somebody that built up the culture there for the last year. Uh, Captain Patrick Archer leaves Triumvirate over a disagreement and uh, joins uh, NC Dot. Uh, same thing happened with uh, Killer B from Pandemic Legion, has something of a disagreement, it appears, or uh, the playstyle of PL wasn't working for him. So he went over to NC Dot as well. So both those guys come over. Those are two major FCs, uh, and uh, so NC ends the year very well with uh, some more um, people able to provide fleets and stuff like that. Uh, and you have um, what was the very last thing that happened? Oh, the Chinese uh, groups start to uh, really show their numbers increase, right? That's probably going to be the big story of this year, don't you think? I think it's got definitely the big story of next year is going to be the time zone population uh, shift that may happen. Red Menace. Well, they yeah, they're moving into a Mencia and Tenerife. So you've got a little bit of fighting going on there with them. If you yeah. have, um, if you have, like, if your tech strategy is to time zone tank in Australian time zone. Uh, if if the other group has a significant Chinese group, that may no longer be a good strategy. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that is going to be an incredibly important change uh, that was completely unforeseen. I think the forces that started it were uh, one group in on the Chinese server because remember Eve is played on one server worldwide, with one exception, and that is China, where it's played under different different. Uh, it's got a different patch, so they don't even have the Rorkel yet, and some of the some of the new stuff that we have, they don't have. Uh, that's one pressure that makes those players want to come over to where we are. Uh, the other pressure is that um, they are able to um, use VPN to actually play on our server, so it's not. I don't think the government is cracking down on them at all. I think it's it's just cracking down on Twitch and those kinds of things. I was talking to somebody who gave me some insight there. 
And um, they're running, they're basically paying through Hong Kong and uh, Singapore and able to, you know, to, to get into the game in that way. And so the, the conditions are allowing them to play on the worldwide server as opposed to just the Chinese server. So what's driving them out is possibly that one group has kind of won Eve over there and created a situation where the, that any contender gets just uh, pummeled. Uh, like if you start invade territory, they'll put a keep star down or... Um, something like that, and then just uh, you know harass you until they, they they knock you out. So maybe the game is all sealed up over there, and that's why a lot of them are moving over here, where the whole place is still in chaos, or not chaos, but there's still room for things. In any case, they're learning fast, uh, from what I understand. Asher, you've you've talked about these guys. These guys are relentless in learning. They're not necessarily there yet, but they are definitely improving. Yeah, um, you if you dealt with organized or like fought organized Chinese groups like two years ago, they were comically bad. Just so funny to fight. Um, you know, people like Fraternity. There are other Chinese groups, um, but um, uh, there's another one called Ranger something, I think. Uh, and they have gotten much better. Now, that's not to say that they're um, at the level of a serious alliance now. But you feel like if they were sort of had a serious alliance to give them some advice, that would help them even more. Uh, one thing to consider is that the alpha changes are probably better for the Chinese than anyone else, because many, many of them play on alpha accounts. And uh, now that you can do a T1 battleship, um, that that will see hmm. a lot of them in T1 battleships. And just the Omega players will run T2 Logi, um, which is a much smaller group of them. And so that there could be a series fleet with, a, you know, a series battleship fleet um, while, while being maybe 80% or higher alpha. That, yeah. that's and imagine, you know, you know, imagine a migration of players from, from Serenity, right, over to this server in an era before skill point injection, where it would uh, just take them a long time, right, to be able yeah. to get you know because they had characters that were fully year. built over there right you know and and they have to come in over here starting off with a brand new character um you know th th that would have taken them how long to get to 20 million skill points right you're right uh, i think that's a, a deadly combination in a good way in that these guys can get up and running and really affect time zone uh, yep. combat uh for late night stuff in a significant way and for anybody who's looked at pcu numbers which is how many players are playing eve at the exact same time you always saw that dip at the end of the night for you know australian time zone so there was always a wave that went down and that was just always the case and you may actually see that flatten up a little bit which be uh, really interesting you know you have a population of uh, tens of thousands of people playing all the time uh, would be an interesting development for. Them. Are we going to call it Aussie Time Zone anymore? I, I mean, know. or has this now become you know the new Trans Pacific Partnership of the yeah, Aussies we'll call and it Chinese? The Tiger Time Zone. We call it, in Goons we call it Moon Time. So I think that's <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> moon Time is perfect. Uh, matter of all, I was talking to a Chinese player who played on um, the main server for longer than the before the migration started, and. Um, I asked him why, you know, why are people coming over? Is it because they, you know, the, the Chinese server is so is so dominated? And um, he he said that in his opinion, it was more for patriotic reasons. Uh, I'll read you what he said. Obviously, he doesn't speak English incredibly well, but he, he wrote uh, why they increase so many people because they play Eve as H1Z1. I think that means zombies. <laughs> uh, Chinese number one and fight for China. Um, 
they have propaganda that they come to TQ and fight foreigners together. But my purpose is for Eve itself, not for patriotism. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Oh, can you imagine the Russians with their culture when, you know, if you attack one, you attack all and they all combine like uh, a transformer versus the Chinese? Oh, my gosh. I think that'll be and I hope that'll be the big story. Well, in some ways, the big story of next year will be the Chinese, you know, incursion into what has been for many years been uh, owned by the Russians and and, and probably RMT'd by the Russians. you know, that'll be a serious, serious thing. It, it, can uh, Xdeath keep his coalition together? And, you know, when you have people in a relatively similar time zone coming after it, you can't time zone tank as effectively as you could against uh, sort of more Western players. And uh, you have people who are sort of, it seems, equally dedicated to, uh, you know, to doing tactics that are um, uh, unpalatable to the enemy. I mean, and, it, and in extension to that, what is the rest of the cluster going to do in response? English Voltron. Well, I, I mean, if we get that many coming over, we may actually see some of the big alliances team up and go, no, we ain't having them take all our space. Build the wall. I don't. I don't know if there's enough players on China to be a threat to, like the major. Let's call them Western powers. In Eve, I don't think there are that many players. Um, but I think that there are enough that they can be like a top second tier power. Uh, if that makes sense. I don't. I, and I'm not certain about this, but I think that you can have. Um, like, I think we would all agree that if DRF actually went on the offensive, they wouldn't be the match for, you know, uh, the PLNC block or the Imperium block or probably the Legacy block, right? So, um, but I think that they could be that strong, um, it, it, given probably six months to a year. Uh, just, I, I just took a look at the EVE, on, uh, EVE offline, and yesterday the peak on Serenity was over 6,000. Well, they're not all coming over. And so those, are, those are all workables. Don't be alarmed. Uh, it's well, not... no, that makes sense because I think the peak used to be about 10,000. And I was going to, I was, I was literally going to say, I think that there are about 4,000 active Chinese players that came over. So, like, that's like literally with my thoughts on the numbers. I think that's about right. And what was your point on that noisy? How many are coming over? Yeah. Well, it, it's like if, you know, Okay, we got we got to assume that a a percentage of those are bots, right? But I mean, if you have like let's say that you have three thousand Chinese players come come over, come into the Australian time zone, does three thousand players in like in a specific one alliance doing something is that enough to change the the face of uh, Nullsec at least uh, ten? You know, you know at least it could, yeah. Yeah, if they come over for the patriotic reasons as so claimed and they all band together in one alliance, that's going to be one of the big, biggest, like, Aussie time zone blocks there is. They haven't, though. There's, there's like, three three main Chinese groups um, uh, already, so... Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a slow burn, but I think it'll be healthy, uh, especially for uh, more activity in the late nights for Pacific time players like myself. Let's just it. I mean, if you know, I mean, what's nice about this, right, is that it fills an it fills an empty kind of part of our twenty four hour you know time zone. 
Well, it changes the landscape of, uh, you know, timings and, you know, when you defend and that kind of stuff. Uh, because really it's been kind of sad that you, you basically say, uh, look, we're, we're probably can't win head to head against these other guys. So let's just put this timer to Australian time zone where they never, where nobody shows up and that's how we'll defend our space. It just seems like a sad way to do it. Uh, so if that becomes a more, you know, playable time zone, uh, then that can, that can jeopardize people's passivity about how to protect their stuff. So. We'll see. Yeah, and I think the one thing that we should, you know, you know, because there's mention of bots and things like that, right? Um, I'm not saying that they are more heavily botting or more heavily, you know, any of that stuff than what has already existed on our side of the, you know, our side of the server, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, because like, just to give some uh, historical um, uh, fact, back uh, in 2009, right before I started playing, there was an event called Unholy Rage. They banned 6,200 bots. Botting accounts and it and we saw the um, concurrent the average concurrent users drop by twenty five percent. All right. So okay. So those are pretty much the events of the year all the way up to today. We've we've covered all the way to Patrick Archer leaving Try for NC and the uh, the welcomed invasion of uh, Chinese players to uh, Tranquility. Uh, so now we'll go back real quick and look at. Um, the shows that we had, and we had some very big shows. We started out strong. We were talking about the Winter uh, War. It's just a name that we put out there, but it's basically the accommodating, the, the war where Test and CO2 came down and situated themselves in the South to fight for their space. Uh, and it was a Stain Wagon and with little support from goons. Anyway, that led off to the conflicts that were kind of going on in the South. That lasted pretty much all year long. Uh, so we had some good shows there. Uh, we went on to do some uh, FanFest uh, shows where we had CCP on talking about the new stuff that would be released later in the year. Uh, we were happy to have uh, uh, some lore shows in there. And we talked uh, later on in the summer. We went ahead and did some deep dives into history, and we brought on Sir Mole. We brought on Andrew Groen, who wrote a book uh, on the history of um, Eve. And that was pretty good. And then we went live when... Um, CO2 was demolished uh, by the judge, uh, and, uh, and I think we uh, had a few more shows on all kinds of topics, but really this year was the year of the production and market uh, and how much activity was going in world building and that kind of stuff, and so we had people from Goon Swarm and across the board talking about uh, how they were basically building the empires. And we ended with... Most influential players of 2017 and uh, most influential alliances and stuff like that. And then we had our Christmas party and then this review. So it was a good year for talking in stations. Uh, what about the media? Uh, Asher, you're a podcaster too, and you went around the board and that was it was great. And it was like a three-hour episode, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but how was your year besides that? It was tough because, uh, like the aforementioned, I said it multiple, multiple times. I, I don't do every week, so I can, mm-hmm. I can wait till there's something I feel you know we need to talk about that would be interesting. And um, it, it was hard to find guests because it was hard to find anyone who's doing anything. And you don't want to just you don't want to just do the same thing, uh, you know, every every time. So you were, I was kind of, I kind of had to come up with more. I don't want to say gimmicks, but you know, things where we wouldn't have to talk about a current battle or a current conflict or even current updates because. Um, I wanted to put out something to people who enjoy my show, but there wasn't much to talk about. And I, I don't think that was for lack of trying. Uh, 
I, I also just don't think people are interested in hearing about um, like, you know, I, I've been in like these great fights where we're fighting with like 50 guys against like 200 and they're super exciting to be in. And when you win, uh, they're really awesome. But uh, I don't think people really care that much about it, like that aren't directly involved. And so yeah. it's just that's not the kind of thing people want to hear about outside of maybe a, like a very small group. Yeah, I think let's talk about the media for a second. I think INN uh, and all media has really suffered this year uh, as far as readership and stuff like that. It's just, you know, people are getting their information in in different ways or the battles have gotten small. So the people actually participating in the battles are having a good time. But the people who wanted to read about the battles that actually sucked because they were so slow, um, they haven't really had a lot to read about. There's not much significance uh, of, of movements uh, that are happening. With a Isn't few it also likely that maybe maybe people who are in a battle are much more likely to read about it? So if you're having small battles, you're getting less people tuning in to see what, what yeah. was written about it? Yeah, no, it's, I would suspect it's hard to get interested in a battle you're not in, like the opposite of that. Uh, you know, unless it's a big political movement that you might get swept up into. I know as a reader, for me, I always wanted to read about our guys, our team to say, hey, look, we rate, you know, we're in the, we're in the news. Right. Uh, you so also have to it. take into consideration the fact that this has actually been like a land grab in slow motion, right? It, it, everyone has been clamoring to figure out how these new changes were going to affect the game and what to do to prepare. Well, some actually prepared better than others. But the fact is that there's really not that much time or passion about fighting uh, when everyone is chasing a land grab and figuring out how to restructure. Now, Wilhelm, you're also a writer. Um, how have you seen the media this year? And you've been around a long time, so writing since 2006. What uh, what was this year like? It's definitely, you know, I, I watched the year-over-year -year stats, and it definitely has been trending down. Um, yeah, it's always, I always get more visits when we have a big war. I, I mean, I write a lot, of, I write about a lot of uh, Asher's ops. I go on those ops and he's right. It, it, it tends to be a much smaller audience. We have a lot of fun and I like to remember them, but it's not, a, it's not a, a widely, uh, 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 a, a wide interesting topic compared to when I was writing about, uh, uh, the casino war. Like it comes down to a level of consequence, right? When the community begins to think that something out there is consequential, it has some meaning to it that is going to have spillover effects and all that, they tend to become more engaged in what is being written or what is being you know, said by pundits or whatever, right? And then once that's over, it dies out. I mean, you, know, you can go back to, you can go back to, you know, 2016 and with the war that was going on there, you know, the casino war, war B or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, it was like, boom, real big uptick in, in, in that kind of stuff, right? And then after after it, 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 you know, trended back down again. So it, it, it's a question of whether or not the player base feels that something that's going on is just content or consequential. I agree with that. And there's another problem, I think, even for like the smaller fights, like uh, someone from INN came over and said, hey, could we write some articles about these fights you're having? And I, I know I've talked to Wilhelm about this before, so he knows, he knows how I feel about it. I, I, I told him no. I said, you can recover them once we're done if you want but um um the problem is if you are in a smaller group and, and if in this case we're talking about reavers my my sort of subgroup in in imperium which is much smaller you know we're going with you know 30 to 50 active pilots um 
and you're having a lot of fun, if you talk about it, if you publicize it, then other people will come because they want to have fun too. And although, although that's good for them that they want to get on fun because they're bored, they're not doing anything themselves. It will ruin your fun. Um, and so I, I tell my guys in Reavers, I'm like, if we win a fight, never post about it on Reddit. Do not, you know, do not make it public. And you'll see the fights you lose on Reddit. You'll never see the fights you win. You'll just have to enjoy them privately. And we'll talk about them when, when the campaign is over. And I think that the, that's probably the same thing. Like I saw the other day that like, uh, I think it was tissue had used the Titan to kill a Rorqual over in Vale. They don't want anyone knowing about that. So there's stuff going on, but it's small and people don't want to have it ruined by other people coming in and, and sitting on them. And so you have, uh, you have a scenario where you're, you're disincentivized to talk about it and there's no big fights going on. So no one's talking about that either. That, and, then, and, and then on top of all that, because the Sov system isn't the greatest, let's say that all the fighting basically have it over soft happens and then you clear out an area, then you go ahead, you clear it. And so then uh, at, you don't see the soft map change until after the, until all the fighting is actually done. There was another big soft fight today where three claw fleets fought four claw fleets over soft for four hours. <laughs> Tune into this article or read about claw fleets shooting uh, <laughs> 500 MN rapiers. It'll be super interesting. Well, I mean, you know, even some of the things that used to be kind of newsworthy, right? You know, 200 billion is gloss, 400 billion is gloss, right? Um, have somewhat become kind of commonplace in, in um, have somewhat become commonplace in that they're not necessarily newsworthy unless they're attached to something with maybe a longer continuum, right? I mean, if it's just a Rorqual's wow. got, you know, you know, douche today. Uh, I don't know. I mean, that was news at one point, and now it's kind of, you know, not unless it's really big and it was one guy and, you know, oh, geez, look, he lost all those Rorquals in one bout. Well, ganks aren't news because ganks are essentially all that's happening, right? Like, when there were a lot of big fights, and ganks were probably actually rarer because people were busy being deployed, not hunting. You know, there were, there were always dedicated hunters, but there weren't – the people who were, you know, at the deployment zone – waiting for the FC to ping or going out and doing a gate camp or whatever are now uh, converted themselves into either, either they're hardcore crabs and they just defend against ganks or they go out and they gank people who are crabbing, but they aren't. So that's why I think those things have become more commonplace because there's more people doing both sides of it, more crabs and more gankers. Yeah. I'm going to ask a question here. Cause I'm not sure Matterall has it on, uh, you know, has it to go, but like, what was your biggest surprise of 2017? And I'm just going to lead off with what my biggest surprise was. And that was with the amount of economic activity and, and uh, happening down in the Delve area, right? The biggest surprise I had for 2017 was that it didn't seem like the Imperium did anything with that mass of freaking wealth and, and you know shipbuilding and everything else that was going on down there. That could have been the. Th it wasn't the threat that I thought it was going to be this year. I put that out to everybody and misspelled surprise at the same time. Terrible. They've been rolling out tons and tons of hardware and infrastructure and yeah. figuring out how this whole thing works. And they are ahead of the curve. Pretty much everyone else is just catching up to where, as I can tell, Imperium was six months ago. That's where everyone else is now. So. This is still a land grab uh, scenario, and the reason that people are not fighting is because they're still putting assets into buying all these uh, infrastructure things, whether it's uh, blueprints and 
the, the actual structures, building them and, and getting all those timers to work and then actually getting it uh, launched in a safe way. It, it's a very uh, boring E right now, but I do actually predict that next year might actually change because then a lot of us have actually rolled out all the infrastructure needed and then there's going to be something to fight over. Yeah, so I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I feel like we're still in this kind of sleeping tiger moment. Yeah, but what is it? There are 35,000 people now in, in Dell that need uh, assets uh, in case there's a war. So chest, uh, war chest-wise, it's just a little bit oversized, but not too much. I mean, I don't think, and I don't, I'm not a finance guy, so I don't, I don't know the Imperium's like exact financial situation. But I think a lot of what we make is going into future, uh, you know, future proofing or, or making us better for the future because we are dropping just an insane amount of refineries, and I think we have another six months or something left to go before we're near done. So, and and we're doing this as fast as can be done, uh, faster than before. You've else. got a structure like, like like that you can literally walk across the lake on. Well, I, and we're talking about moon mining here, so it's it's it, yeah. I mean, we're still going to be putting out you know, Fortizars and Keepstars, but I'm I'm just talking strictly about moon mining. Like that's already at full tilt, and I think we've got six months left. And, and so, Jeez. if we're doing it at the most like the highest rate, um, imagine what people you know who aren't doing it like us. Imagine how much time they have ahead of them if they're going to try to do it to the level we're doing it. I mean, think about when stations, like, you know, when you could start building your own station, came, you know, and, and there were only like five stations in, in one region, uh, you know, Declan, I think, got fully built out in 2015, where every system uh, had a station. But, you know, it took it took like, what, five years to do that. We're talking about... Go ahead. It's also what's going to start uh, being a problem, right? Because Delve and, and the Imperium is rolling out all this infrastructure that is going to be the thing that produces everything. We're going to get this farms and fields Eve that everyone has been dreaming of for a while. But no one else has really gotten up to par. That means that they will not be able to recuperate any losses in a future war, whereas someone like uh, the Imperium can actually recuperate that. It's also why you're not seeing any of these assets actually hitting uh, the data market, because you don't want to sell out of what's going to be your potential benefit in the future. So it's going to be a whole new game. And the rest of you needs to catch up with building that infrastructure so they can recuperate any losses. Otherwise, it's going to be an uneven fight when the fight comes. The problem, and this is true for us, this is true for everyone, and that's that you have to have the war chest before the war. Um, you can't, like you guys see, whenever we leave Delve in a significant way, our workers just start getting massacred, right? And uh, the activity falls a ton. So you can't pay for the war as you go. You need to have the you need to have the 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 war chest full and ready to the point where you will not run out because as soon as you leave your region, your activity slams to to a halt. You know, um, and and I'm not saying that that it shouldn't, but but that's just the the way it goes. So if you're not stocked with money right now, if you're a non-imperial group, you're not stocked with money. Um, you need to find a way to do it. Uh, you know, if you have some new casino or something. Or, or some other alternate income source that I'm, I can't think of or unaware of. But, it but Asher, don't you think that the warfare in the future will be more granular and not as digital as in the past? So you can actually in what conduct way? activities while you're fighting on fronts? You mean sort of like what's happening now where you send out smaller groups to harass people and sort of hit their economics, but not actually go full, full all in on them? Yeah, and just um, in an even more meaningful way, like scale that up a few times, and then you actually get something like the scenario that might be in effect in like six months to a year. 
Not really. I mean, you saw what happened when we went north with a, frankly, a massive capital fleet, but left their supers and titans behind. We just had no shot. There, you know, what for everyone who just says just dread bomb them, I think that was a, a wonderful example of why just dread bomb them is not an actual solution. Um, and so, no, you need to have a, a super fleet to legitimately invade anyone right now who had who holds Sov in a serious way. If you don't bring a super fleet, you cannot fight them. Delete all supers. But that's mostly because everyone's got such huge caches of everything everywhere. Right? It's mostly because everyone has a lot of supers, and and, and supers and titans are are essentially an I win button uh, against other capitals, uh, and they probably should be. But I think it's from the position of us having probably the biggest individual super fleet in the game. If they deleted them today, I'd be very happy. I, I don't think it's good for the game as a whole. Um, or if they made them non-combat relevant, if they made Titans just glorified bridgers with yeah. some other things like uh, maybe boosters, like they could boost, like and have, have an effect that way. I'd be in supers could I don't know do something else, but um, if they got rid of their combat capabilities, uh, I think this game would be much better. And I think everyone who spent a lot of time going for one would be upset about it. But I think in three months it would probably you probably realize oh wait this actually worked out a lot better for the game. Yeah, I think so too, actually. I think they need to be... Right now, they seem to be like giant subcaps to me. Like, they seem to be used in the same way. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not an FC, but that's just what it appears like. They, their separation as... Uh, they were like the structures of the past. Uh, you attack a Titan, it's like an everybody's in on it um, kind of thing. Uh, in the past, it made news. It was a big deal. Like, these things were super expensive to build. Only certain players could have them. They were players of status. And now it feels like, well, everybody's got, you know, potential to get one in their garage. Not to say that, you know, it's too many people are having it, uh, that kind of thing, but it is, it just feels like they're, they're going through gates now and they just seem like giant models for subcaps. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, what Haas, you know, tracking Titans were a problem and they just reintroduced it to, you know, with, um, the Haws uh, guns that can track subs yeah, and high, ang high angle weaponry. Yeah, that, I couldn't remember what the acronym stood for. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and so you have a you have a system where Titans don't need any support. It's like the battleship can defend itself against submarines um, or the carrier. Uh, and it's a I don't know. I, I've had a lot of fun in my Titan. I've killed a lot of people. I've BFG'd a lot of people, but I don't think I do. I think that they're part of the overall problem that's stymieing conflict in Eve. I think another problem is the the third party radar that you're able to produce. Uh, I've seen it used, at least uh, friends of mine use it, and that is that they can pretty much figure out who's coming at them. So the grazers, you know, are now getting early warning signs and able to escape. So maybe that makes the motivation to go hunting. Go down. I, I never, I never supported that, and I just installed it uh, like this week. I finally so gave in. You're gave, you're giving in, yeah. Yeah, it's just like it's such an advantage that that other people. And if if, if CCB banned it tomorrow, you, you're talking about the things that read yeah. your logs and warn you from the yeah. intel that people are coming your way. Yeah, I have never supported that, but it's just like I'm just like everyone else is yeah. getting this advantage, and I'm being stubborn because I don't think it's right. And I, eventually, you got to go with the flow. I'm, I'm exactly where you are on it, too. I, I don't like it. I haven't used it. But now I'm feeling like, God, everybody's using it and I'm getting left behind kind of thing. 
Anyways, so I, Jen, I, I mean, Danny, you guys have any other like, you know, you know, like what surprised you about 2017 or was it or, or did it go down kind of the way you thought it would? I mean, my, no, my no surprise. My yeah, I mean, my activity levels, it's just mm, above any scales. And the fact that we are potentially going to see uh, Dell reach uh, forge numbers in productivity next month or the month after. It's just so amazing to see that players can actually take over that much in null. Carneros, what was your surprise? I, it, I don't know. I would still have to say it was the first ping by Aerith that that uh, we all stopped to check to see if it was real or if it was some kind of a joke or some kind of smug talk. But it was an insanely smug ping that turned into being Judgment Day. That that was my surprise of the year. Uh, for me, it um Actually, I don't have a big surprise. I, I guess there was... Yeah, I don't know. Don't have a big surprise. Sorry, Dirk. Nothing, nothing surprised you this year? I mean, I mean, look, you can, you, you can sit there and say Judgment Day, right? Because obviously that was a surprise, right? That came out of the blue. I got something that you'll like matter all that's not public. Um, yeah. Um, so the Judgment Day thing, uh, about let's say three or four months before that, Reavers uh, deployed to uh, Impasse, which is a really hard area to deploy to. And we were harassing CO2. And it was it was supposedly a cover, cover for an upcoming invasion. But what actually happened was we had a disaffected director who um, was ready to flip and had access to the Keepstar and the Sadios and the Sov. And it was all a cover for that. And we were, we were on the last day and he got cold feet at the last minute um, and quit the game. So wow! not only did the judge thing happen, but about three months before it, it almost happened earlier. Like that's how, I guess, po how poorly CO2's leadership was chosen or how disaffecting uh, GigX was after a long time that there wasn't one person. There were two people who were interested in doing that. And uh, and it was basically like down to the minute that it didn't happen the first time. Wow, that's dramatic. So, so then the judge was the second coming of that plan. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't the judge, by the way. It was a it was a totally different totally different guy. But but the judge was the one that actually did it when the first guy basically yeah, well, got cold feet. Exactly, exactly. Oh, that's wild. Were you still? So, okay, so you had a guy that was going to unplug CO2. It yeah. didn't happen. They're working on the judge. And then you guys are planning to go to war, I guess, too. Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of a, a whole bunch of, of different things, like, uh, going on at once. And basically, something was going to happen to CO2. Just just depended on which, which one came through. All right, that is newsmaking. Thank you. That's awesome. I like that kind of stuff. We have to understand, we weren't, we weren't sure about the judge was, you know, we were also worried the judge would get cold feet at the end as well. So the uh, it, it's it's you know it all, all we sort of all had multiple options on the table for that. Cogitationness. Uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Anyways, you know so this conversation is way over macro, and Eve's problems are in, in the macro aspect. Um, well, number one, okay, on talk shows you tend to get you tend to get more of macro views of things, unless you, especially in a show like this where where we're kind of reviewing the year and sort of looking forward to next year or whatever, uh, as opposed to focusing on a single subject where we're you know diving deep into it. Um, but we do tend to talk about things on a much higher macro level as to what's going on out there, what's trending, and that sort of thing. Um, 
I don't, you know, there's a lot of micro things that you can get into, but 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 they really get down rabbit holes that I don't think this late in the show that we're going to go to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the numbers are ticking up. We're at 175. It's been ticking up slowly. I guess people are getting ready to go out tonight and uh, tuning in to like hang out with us before they go out for New Year's Eve. Just start but, drinking now, I guess. But. Yeah, start drinking. <laughs> I want to say one thing that we skipped, and this is the, the last thing for talking in stations, was that uh, I was able to do a presentation at eVegas uh, about the last five years of warfare. Uh, and so I got a lot of help from a lot of the people that participate in here. Um, you know, from people like GigX, I had a two-hour conversation with him, three-hour converse, two-hour conversation with Pro God Legend, three-and-a-half-hour conversation with Boat, really just going through a lot of stuff and other people as well. But these are just the, you know, the, the names that come to mind. Uh, Pfeiffer, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff uh, that went into that, and a lot of that came from this program and this Discord. So I want to say thank you to all the guys that helped out uh, by, you know, refreshing my memory about the last five years of warfare. That was a, like a talking in stations, INN presentation at eVegas. I think it went well. So thank you, guys. If you want to have a fun time, get Boat talking about history. I have a terrible yeah. memory. Like, I can't remember something that happened last week. But Boat is really good. Now, you're probably going to get the, the boatiest of, of, you know, all uh, explanations, but he will remember the details and fill you in on, like, oh, this funny thing happened, and this was crazy, and this guy did this dumb thing. And he'll go in great detail about something that happened five years ago. It's really, really quite interesting, especially for someone like me, who, you know, I can't remember what my, my name was a week ago. Yeah. yeah uh, different well, strains. Well, well uh, Matter was running a little, you know, a little streaming show that that we did where it was about Eve history and stuff like that. And he was, you know, we were flying out to places and you know having people talk about, you know, what battles went down there, BTAC or you know other ones around the way, right? Um, and and Boat was there for some of that, and 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 he is one of those people. And you know what? Shout out to Boat because apparently he got engaged today. So uh, see, anybody can that find love, tough. people. <laughs> That's rude. <laughs> Shots fired. That is awesome. Now, congratulations so, to both. Yeah. Congratulations. And he is in 2018 already, I think. Yeah. And yeah, he is. He's in Australia. He wrote me yesterday yep. to say thanks for doing the meta show for him. Uh, and that um, uh, he was on a beach in uh, Australia. So. And in Good connection with what Asher just said, the interview that you did with him pretty much proves that point. But also, Asher, not to, you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't think that's not necessarily a good thing because what you bring to the table as far as FC podcasts, like I don't think it can be done by anybody else. You actually went solo, did a whole podcast by yourself talking, and it was one of the most interesting podcasts I've heard this year. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Boy, it, 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 flying solo with no support is certainly it's scary. I'll tell you that much. Super. None of us, none of us have done it. Uh, maybe Dirk has, but. I know, I know Dirk could do it. I have no, no concern that Dirk could carry three hours on his own. <laughs> Carneros, I think I, I think I did on the Manny Bothan show one night. <laughs> probably. Carneros, probably a little less so. He, he's much more circumspect, but uh, some people just Thank have you. to give the gab. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that I think as far as as far as kind of the Eve media goes, right, is that we definitely need more of the FCs, um, you know, who are who are willing to come around and talk about um, talk about battles. 
talk about meta shifts and things like that, um, you know, you know, to really kind of communicate that side of things, because for the most part, okay, the people who are the, you know, the part of the punditry of the media out there are not the ones actually leading fleets and doing things like that. So it's great when we've got um, guys like Asher that do the, that can come on as a guest, but also, um, um, you know, do their own shows to where they talk specifically about those things. But again, you know, this is kind of one of the, also one of the weird things about the media is so much of this seems centered around NullSec. You would almost think that NullSec is the only thing going on in this game based on what is written and what is spoken about. I think NullSec tends towards um, being covered. And because LowSec is kind of like what I was discussing earlier, where you don't want to publicize it as much because it's more ganky. The fights are more unexpected. So people don't want as much of a you know microscope on them, and then and then high sec is boring. All right, plans real quick. Uh, plans for TIS in the future uh, hasn't been discussed with all the guys uh, here that participate in the show, uh, but we'll probably get a new uh, fresh brand. Um, I think the the way it looks and is produced by McLeod is is really good. So I, nothing there will probably change. The time did change, uh, and that's already happened. So this is our time zone. Nine Talking in keep stars. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, you're right. We got to change that, right? Um, the name change, uh, somebody asked about a name change. I don't see a name change coming. There's no change to the theme because people love that theme. I have it on record. And um, so, yeah, so TIS will go strong into the next year. Uh, pretty much uh, the same as it did before with maybe a new look and maybe a new push on social media to get more, uh, you know, more awareness out there and stuff like that. Thank you for uh, getting out of that god awful time zone. Yeah, it was pretty rough on, on people. But I just found here that somebody uh, used to love to have it ready on Sunday so when they were mowing the lawn for their mom, they could listen to it. Uh, in any case, I want to thank you guys for a great year. 2017, it was a great year. A lot of work was put into this show by these guys, uh, and especially McLeod, who showed up all the time, when even when I wasn't here. And um, so, McLeod, you can speak. It's okay. Thank you very much for being a part of TIS. Uh, oh, it's all right. Yeah, well, I heard you. So, yeah, he said yay. And uh, also like to thank Carneros, uh, who really put in a lot of effort, brought thank a lot you. of knowledge, uh, and really rounded out, like, uh, parts of the, really, parts of gaming that we can't even touch. He's he's the guy that brings in the stuff that devs think, all the logic that goes on, and that great. And he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. So, we love him. Uh, and Dirk and everybody else, you guys are awesome. This whole team is awesome. Uh, TIS wouldn't be the show without uh, all you guys. Uh, and so we really appreciate that. And Dirk and Noisy, my research partners, uh, these guys are great. All right, before it starts to sound too much like uh, I want an Oscar, um, I want to wrap up the show. <laughs> Can Bob cue up some orchestral music? Couldn't do this without the Lord having blessed me over the course of the last few years. Thank you. You're the man. You're the man. We got on the stream, Commander Az. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank um, you, Danny Elfman, for writing the soundtrack to TIS. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so thanks, guys, for a great year. Appreciate it. And most especially thanks to uh, all the people who support Talking in Stations through Patreon and through subscribing to this channel. Uh, uh, thank you, guys. The trend has always been up, 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 up. And uh, we really appreciate, as awareness goes up, uh, so do donations and so do people's, uh, you know, praise for the show. So it's great. All right. Thanks. That's all that we have this week. Um, we will be back next year 
My son broke out in laughter. <laughs> we'll be back next year for more Talking In Stations. Everybody have a safe and happy new year. Happy new year. <laughs>